whatever your genitalia is, you go to that restroom. That's um, North Carolina stance. Okay. Uh, you know, I'm pretty open-minded. Not open-minded on this one. Okay. I think Why? this is stupid. Okay. Okay. I, I, I know. You're saying I'm, North Carolina's law is legit, and the people that are. I think this whole thing is stupid. Um, we are willing to. We're, I like look. Answer I, the question. So their law is valid. You're you're saying I think that that's. I, I think it's stupid that we have to make a law. Hey, gum boy, you got you a blow. <laughs> Hello, hello. Welcome, everyone. Thank you for coming back to the show. It is Saturday, April 30th, 2016. The Morgan Freelance Podcast. Back at it again. You know, I am now officially a father. As of April 16th, which was exactly two weeks ago, my son, Benjamin came into this world in dramatic fashion and I'm a papa now feels great it's insane it's crazy we had a scheduled c-section when my wife had a scheduled c-section for Sunday and the little guy decided to start his entrance on Saturday morning the contraction started and it wasn't like Oh my God, pack your bag. Let's go to the hospital. The water broke. It wasn't like that. It was just slow, subtle contractions. We calmly got ready, took showers, had breakfast. My wife did her makeup. And uh, we went on down to Kaiser. And a few hours later, they had her in the operating room. And they cut the baby out. And it was intense. Yes, it was the most amazing experience it was the greatest day of my life. I'm standing there or sitting next to my wife's head. There's a sheet covering the lower half of her body. And I can, I can see her body being wrenched left and right, back and forth, as they remove the baby from the uterus. And I, I'm, not, I'm not a blood and guts person. Um, I get lightheaded at the thought. I mean, even in the consultation for the procedure... The doctor was describing what the procedure was like, and I was getting lightheaded. I was getting pale. I told them, please make sure that you have smelling salts at the ready because I might pass out. But like most good husbands do, I rose to the occasion. I did not freak out. I did not pass out. And I cut the baby's umbilical cord after I heard his first screams of life, and my wife and I cried tears of joy together. Now, I hesitate to give you the whole story. I hesitate to give you a play-by-play experience because if I did that, I feel like I would scare a lot of you from having kids. I feel like if anybody knew exactly what was involved in having a child, very few people would do it. Very few. Um, but one piece of advice that my good buddy Brandon gave me, uh, he went through, him and his wife had a C-section uh, delivery, so he prepared me for some of the things that might freak me out, uh, which I am greatly appreciative for because it helped me get through it. Um, but the umbilical cord, 
you know, father, the, the proud father wants to be part of that. And it's kind of a ceremonious gesture to cut the umbilical cord and, and sever the child from the mother, um, beginning his, his independent life on earth, if you will. So I was expecting the umbilical cord to look much like an extension of the body, to have uh, a skin uh, coating on it. Um, but no, it looks like an alien plug that goes into the child's belly and it's, it's white and off-white and kind of leathery. It's, it's thicker than what you would think and it looks different than what you would think. So because it was a C-section, I didn't get to cut the cord from the placenta because that was in a, a sterile surgical environment. So I had to step away maybe 10 feet from the operating table uh, to the little area where they weigh and examine the baby. And I got to trim the umbilical cord. Um, and because Brandon had warned me in advance to the thickness of the cord, I clamped down with all my strength and I severed it in one go. And the nurses, they were like clapping and kind of surprised that I did it so easily. And I was like, hey, I was forewarned. <laughs> I was ready. Um, but yeah, it was, it was beautiful. You can't, I understand now why people say, you know, you're going to look in your, the eyes of your child and, and fall in love. I definitely have that experience every time I'm holding him and, and looking him in the eyes and now that he's two weeks old, he's definitely more aware. He's more able to focus and make eye contact with me. And uh, it's intoxicating. You know, it's a beautiful thing. And it it almost makes up for the sleepless nights and just the being on edge and wondering if he's breathing and making sure he's okay. Literally every fear and thought that I had negative about being a father is coming true. You know, he was born healthy uh, and happy, ten, 10 fingers, 10 toes. But besides that, it's a nightmare. And I know it gets better. Everybody says that in a few months, he'll have a regular sleeping schedule. And uh, it varies. Some people say in three months, they'll be good to go. You can have a more normal sleep through the night, mostly. Some people say it takes a year. I don't know. Fingers crossed. It's very, it's very challenging. Oh, and my favorite piece of advice that uh, people would give me or give us, make sure you get all the rest you can now because when the baby comes, you can't get any rest. Well, newsflash, we weren't getting rest the last couple months of the pregnancy. I mean, just the uncomfortableness of being that big. You know, she'd get up every half hour or so and use the restroom and need help. And it was, it starts... The madness starts before the child gets there. And when the child comes, the madness kicks up a notch. So if it wasn't for our extended family, uh, for my mother, my in-laws, my siblings helping out, I truly don't know where we would be. Another piece of advice, make sure that you go on dates and, and you know, do things. Make sure you keep time for yourself, basically. I don't know how you do that when you have a newborn that needs to feed every couple hours. I don't. Make sure you keep time for your own entertainment and your own hobbies. And for me, it's this podcast. So I did get to sit down with my good friend, Nathan Martell. 
who was on the show a couple weeks ago. And let's just say that the listeners had varying feedback. Some people loved what he had to say. Some people hated what he had to say. But feedback is good either way. That's how I look at it. And in today's episode, we cover some uh, interesting topics. But before I tell you about the topics, I have some very exciting news. The podcast has its first sponsor. That's right. When you've got literally tens of listeners, you start attracting sponsors. And our first sponsor is a local company. They go by the name of Audio Visual Live. Audio Visual Live is a full service live event production company specializing in high quality audio systems. If you need sound, video, LED walls, projection, lighting, and staging for your next event, visit audiovisuallive.com and they will take care of you. They don't just do, you know, tiny little hole-in-the-wall concerts and stuff like that. They produced the sound for the Manny Pacquiao boxing match recently in Vegas. So they are the real deal. They're experts in their field. They know what they're doing. Uh, I actually had questions about some audio equipment that I wanted to purchase for my podcast, and they were nice enough to sit down with me and offer me um, some con- con- some consultation. Um, if you like the sound quality on this episode, um, that microphone that my guest Nathan is using is the D5. Uh, That's by AKG, I believe. D5 is a dynamic microphone, very reasonably priced. You can go to his website. They have a store where you can order it, uh, and they beat Guitar Center's prices by a lot. Very reasonably priced, top quality equipment, um, and just great people. So check out their website, audiovisuallive.com, and uh, tell them I sent you. So this week on the podcast, we discuss some topics in the news. Uh, Prince Rogers Nelson, uh, the artist formerly known as Prince, and then back as Prince again, passed away. Uh, And we discuss the controversial um, cause of his death and the epidemic that is sweeping our nation with regard to um, opiates and how they are abused. We also talk about white privilege. Transgender bathrooms. Who's on the $20 bill? We also talk some politics because Nathan is very, very involved in the political discussion. So we talk Trump. We talk Sanders. We talk Hillary. And last but not least, we have a second sponsor, believe it or not, ladies and gentlemen. The location that we used to film and record was here in the Antelope Valley near Lancaster Boulevard. It is called the P Home, which stands for the Positive Home of Musical Entertainment. It's an independently owned venue and creative space located near Lancaster Boulevard. You can hold a concert, open mic, weddings, quinceaneras, kickbacks, anything. It's an open space. You can do whatever you want with it. They also have studio space for recording vocals, live instruments, podcasts, web shows, etc. So check out the Facebook page and message any inquiries you have 
to Paul. He's a good friend of mine, and he runs a tight ship, and he'll hook you up. Great deals on space. Um, Positive home of musical entertainment. So, without further ado, please welcome back to the show my good friend, Mr. Nathan Martell. And you can join the conversation on Twitter. Hashtag Nathan Martell is stupid. Still we don't see them, we look away. Still they cry, but no one is listening. When will we open our eyes? Open our eyes! A lot's happened since I saw you last. I had a kid. I, I, and I just got to see the little guy for the first time. Yeah. I actually just went over and saw him for this, and that was pretty amazing, I will say. I'm a father now. Yeah. I don't know. Yes, I'm happy for you. Yeah. Um, I don't know if I'm envious of it yet. Oh, no. Because right now I can still be an idiot, and all I have to do is worry about myself. You don't get that. Hands down, at this moment, worst decision I've ever made. Mm. It gets better. I'm told it gets better. But as of right now, he's literally two weeks old, and I get to sleep an hour at a time if I'm lucky. So, But you know what? I don't want to spend time talking about my kid because, and I know this from being on the earth 30 years, nobody gives a shit about my kid. That's right. I care. I do care, though. I do care. People, people that visit you in the first month care. People that show up to the baby shower care. People that send gifts. People that are going to either benefit or be in a bad place. You know, who, you know who doesn't care? Everybody else. And everyone on Facebook don't care. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I was thinking to myself, like, the, the child is here. He's on the earth. People still ask me, oh, what do you have in it? Is it a boy or a girl? And I'm like, well, if you looked on Facebook, you would see. But I'm not mad because I've got family members. And I'm like, oh, how's your son doing? Or... Would you have a daughter? They're they're what? They're two now. They're they're eighteen months old. But no, they're they're seven. Oh my bad. <laughs> so <laughs> if I can't even figure out what decade your child is, I know that nobody cares. About yeah, me. I mean, but come on, man. Everybody's flooded with everything today, oh, yeah. these days. I'm not like, mad at all. Yeah, you just you can't get mad at people for that. But the people, your close people, we do care, and that's the most important thing. He's, he's, got a, he's got a good village. You know, that was my main concern um, before having a kid, that there wasn't enough supportive people in our lives that would help take care of it. But that's it. <laughs> Him. <laughs> well, it's not true. Yeah. And she's back at home taking care of him right now. So she lets you sneak out of the house, which is really nice. She did. She's, yeah. a, good, she's a good woman right there. I had a good woman. For you. She talked me into marrying her, and she talked me into having a kid with her. So. That's hard to believe. You know what? You know why I picked her? I'll be dead honest with you. She is a real, authentic woman. What does that mean? Most girls that I that I met or that I knew, um, most, not all, there's exceptions, were simply a collection of agendas. They were personality traits that they had adopted, but they didn't have anything real inside of them. Does that make sense? I, I guess. Most women today are super official. Super, super. Pressure. I thought I was the controversial one. <laughs> Look at you going for it. Hey, I call it like I see him. All right. I mean, I'm not going to disagree with you, but but uh, come on, we're guys are just as bad. Yeah. We're all terrible human beings. That's true. That's true. Yeah. So, my point is, 
if you find somebody who's genuine and they love you for who you are, it might not be a total mistake to be with them or marry them. Man, it's like... That's my relationship advice. That's really not that inspirational. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. All right, let's let's jump right into the controversial topic. So we met up a few weeks ago and we did a podcast, which was very long. And, um, it was fun, though. I'm going to say that I got mixed feedback. Some people loved it. Some people hated it. Well, that's kind of what you want, though. Yeah. Yeah. What, what, what were some of your feedbacks? What did people have to say? Uh, like I said, most people were just astonished that I could uh, um, put sentences together properly. <laughs> yeah. um, they were, <laughs> that was like the number one thing. <laughs> they thought I could only work in like... Uh, um, Twitter and uh, Facebook updates where yeah. I have time to think about stuff. I can't do it on the spot. Yeah. And they didn't think I'd have proper like a uh, syntax or is that the proper word I would yeah. use for that? Like grammar, word, syntax. Gra- grammar and all that. So uh, shocked. Yeah. But uh, overall it was pretty good. Now you, you and I both live in parts of California that are, I would say conservative. We live in conservative pockets. Yep. So you're a libertarian. Conservative libertarian, is that mm-hmm. correct? Yes. Self-proclaimed. I do not hide it. I don't pretend I'm, not, I'm something else. And so what I thought was interesting was one of my other libertarian friends who was equally passionate about his politics did not agree with you. Mm. Well, you know what, everybody, that's the good thing about believing in freedom. Yeah. You allow people to have dissenting opinions. Yeah. And you know what, I mean, there's 10,000 issues out there. Yeah. And within those 10,000 issues, there's 10,000 ways to look at every single one of that issue. Right. There's two parties, really. You're going to have fracture within even those things. So, I mean, sure, I'm going to have, like, I bet you we will find things that we agree on. Mm -hmm. But I'm sure, like, there might be certain issues that he is super passionate about that I'm not as passionate about. Right. And I maybe even mocked it a little bit because it's not a passionate issue for me. Right. So um, I don't know what it is, but I mean, I, I'm sure it's justified. Good thing is people are listening. Uh, that's the most important thing. As long as they're not trying to throw a fist or, or uh, like a punch at me, it's all good. Well, they don't know where we are. I know. Well, We're broadcasting I, from a super secret location. I'm in Lancaster. <laughs> oh, damn it. <laughs> so, so what's happened in the news? What's newsworthy that we can tackle that, that may be controversial? Uh, well, obviously we were talking about Prince dying. Yes. Rest, um, in, rest in peace. Yes. Prince uh, Rogers everybody, Nelson. Everybody's sad about Prince's death right now. Um, I recently had a, uh, um, were you a Prince fan? Just real quick. No, I'm not going to lie. I was not a huge Prince fan. Like I, okay. As a musician, cause I, you know, I was into music, yeah. um, played in bands and stuff like that. Yeah. As a Musician, the guy was a genius, mm-hmm. but I'm not gonna lie, I never really listened to his music. I couldn't like, get into it. Um, I respect it and everything like that, but everybody, when he died, everybody was the biggest Prince fan of all time. I was like, didn't really listen to him that much. I respect him, same, that's for sure, but I, I'm not gonna lie, I same. did not listen to him at all. Um, he was an amazing guitar player, he was an innovator stylistically. Um, well, he actually played over 25 instruments professionally. That's incredible. It's insane. Yeah. Like, nobody's going to deny his musical geniusness. Right. Is geniusness a word? Um, it is today. Yeah, whatever. Um, but 
I, I know the song Purple Rain. And that's, Erotic City. Everybody's saying, singing that like they're the biggest fans in the world. And I was like, you, is that the only song you know? Because that's the only song I know. I heard that he's got a vault in his home slash studio with hundreds, enough music to fill a hundred albums of new Prince material. Good, because the, public has the labels are going to sell the hell out of him oh, for yeah. the next like 20 years. But even with his huge body of work, I'd, I'd be hard pressed to name five Prince songs. I definitely couldn't name an album worth, like a greatest hits. I couldn't do it. Purple Rain. <laughs> if it wasn't for that Chappelle show skit, I don't think that half the people that know Prince would know him. No him. joke. That's how I. That's how I learned about Prince. There you and go. that was one of my great, the greatest skits ever. By the way, Charlie game Murphy. blouses. Yeah, that was pretty much. That was the moment I actually started paying attention to Prince. Totally. So that actually, I think that brought him back on the map a little bit. To totally. Honest, but. Same with Rick James. Rest in peace either way to Prince. Rest in peace. You know, we we agree that his musical genius is not to be, you know, argued with. Um, whether you're a fan of his, it doesn't matter. His contributions to the musical landscape will never be forgotten. The way in which he died um, is, of course, controversial because at first they were saying flu-like symptoms, they're saying his plane made an emergency landing for health reasons. Um, I saw a TMZ video that basically said he was on Percocet. He had been on Percocet since a surgical procedure in 2010. And then there was eyewitness reports the day of his death of him at a CVS or a Rite Aid, pacing back and forth furiously in the parking lot, um, sweating, acting erratic, seemingly either in withdrawals Overdose, we don't know. Um, so what, what do you think about that? I mean, given what happened in your personal life recently, I'm sure you have a different opinion. Jeez um, Louise. Uh, well, from everything I've heard, it sounds like it uh, It was a combination of some bad drugs. That's what it sounds like. And, uh, you know, I was just listening to the radio over the way over here, and they're talking about taking perks that mix with sleeping pills and stuff like that. Um, but... You know, I was having this discussion um, with someone the other day, and they were saying, oh, you know, we need to hold the doctor liable for this. And I said, do we really? I was like, do we really need to hold the doctor liable for this? I was like, um, and, and, I, and I didn't understand what they meant, and they said, yeah, because we're allowing, allowing people to abuse these things, and we know too much of them kills people, and we're going to hold, we got to hold somebody. I don't know why we feel like someone has to be held responsible to this other than him. No offense to Prince. Right. But why does, let's say he did die of a pill overdose. Why do we have to blame somebody else? You know what I'm saying? Um, I know we want to look for someone to, to blame. And I understand the sentiment about that, specifically just because of something I recently went through. But at the same time, um, this was pres this was prescription stuff, is what I'm hearing. Right. If it's Percocet, then yeah, yeah obviously if prescription painkiller. Like if he's getting this from his doctor, I I brought up. I was like, we don't know how. We don't know any. Nobody knows any of the um, details about his prescription, other than he might have died from it. Let's we got to blame somebody. Right. We don't know if he was on prescription. We don't know if this was regularly prescribed to him. We don't know right. if he act because I know we had a hip surgery. We know I know we had a hip surgery. 
So how do we know these weren't legit pills? How do, we don't know anything, but we're looking to blame somebody well, already. Let, let's make a few assumptions yeah, okay. and then base our decisions or our opinions based on these assumptions. So let's assume he had surgery in 2010. Let's assume that his doctor prescribed him the proper amount of Percocet painkillers to deal with that pain at the time. Let's assume that he got hooked on these pills. Mm -hmm. And because of his celebrity stature, he was able to keep that prescription going longer than the average person. So he, let's assume he had unlimited access to the painkillers that he wanted. Okay. Is that fair? Sure. And then looking at the Michael Jackson death, where he died from a combination of propofol, which is a sedative used for surgery, and that he had a doctor on staff to administer it. So let's assume that Prince could have had access to those things as well. You're saying that the doctor shouldn't be blamed as long as he's writing these prescriptions in accordance with safe medical practices, correct? Yeah, I'm saying we're, we're, we're looking to blame somebody already. We don't even know anything yet. We don't know anything beyond... But let's the, make those assumptions. Oh, okay. Let's... Uh, well, it goes... You got to go a little bit deeper than that, though. Okay. Okay. First of all, you got to take into the... You got to take a couple things into account. First of all, what happens between him and his doctor, we would have to analyze... Who's going to analyze whether he should have had... He still needed to be other, on that stuff other than his doctor. That's number one. So it's like... If, if we're gonna start, if we're gonna start, if we're gonna start pointing fingers about like maybe blaming the doctor for overprescribing or something like that. Um, how do we go about figuring out that? Because track um, record. But based on what? Because the the because the person who is responsible for making that decision is the doctor. Mm -hmm. There's nobody else to make that decision. Well, just like they had all the. What do you call them? Like pill farms in Florida, they got shut down. Yeah. They were writing, multiple doctors okay. were writing to the same person. So if your business is based on prescribing pills versus treating patients, then you obviously have a track record. That is different. That, you know what I mean? I 100% I agree with that. Like, So let's say you can prove that this doctor was getting kickbacks from the pharmaceutical okay. companies. Then do I think he's held liable? Yes. Right. So there, there is a circumstance where he could be yes. held liable. But you're uh, saying... Yes. I'm saying we don't know anything. We're just jumping to conclusions. Of course. And I, I'm so, making these uh, assumptions just so I can draw a conclusion based on the hearsay. Yeah, I mean, there's no doubt about it. You get addicted to these pills. Right. I mean, I was on I was on uh, hard opiates after my back surgery. Norco, Vicodin. Oh, my Lord, are they addicting. Yeah. And, you know, I just recently... Looked at a statistic, like 80% of heroin users started out using, um, like, prescription. Something that um, was legal, and with, yeah. with, Because of injuries. Mm -hmm. And they moved to the cheap stuff once they couldn't get the prescription anymore. Um, I just read a statistic that they said, like, 90% of Percocet users are in the United States. Wow. Yeah, I was just listening to the radio, and they were talking about that statistic. Something gnarly. Like, we have yeah. a serious... There's no doubt about that we have a pill problem here in the United States. Sure, sure. Um... Now, what the reason for that is, that's a different story. We, we feel like everything needs to be medicated. And like we, I don't know if it's, it's, it's culture in general. We've just yeah. gotten so weak that we can't handle any pain or we no. just, we're at the point where, you know, we, we feel like nobody should have to be in any pain mm -hmm. and like whatever it does to alleviate the pain. And that comes, I mean, if you go down that route, then you get into the whole like question um, about, well, Truly, I mean, if you want to go down that route, you're getting back into like the freedom question. How much yeah. freedom do I have to get, be able to control my own, you know, my own pain management, if you will? Slippery slope. I mean, pain. So my wife just had a C-section. Yeah. Okay. She's on Norco. 
in the hospital, you get a spinal tap, so you're numb from the waist yeah. down, so you don't feel the surgery. They put in morphine, so you get 24 hours of protection from the pain, which is medically necessary, so you can carry on with taking care of yourself, taking care of the baby. Beyond that, you get Vicodin prescribed to you as needed. So this is what I found very interesting, because as far as I know, last year, because of these opiate deaths increasing, they've made it more and more difficult for patients that need them even to gain access. So you've got to get triplicate prescription, meaning that a copy goes to the doctor, copy goes to the pharmacist, copy goes to the government. That's my understanding of it. You know, I'd be fascinated to find out if the reason why it's harder to get it is because they care about the actual death or it's just the lawsuits they care about. It's just, I'm sure it's the lawsuits. I don't think that any of this is in the best interest of the patient. It's all just, you know. There's no way to know, but that would be fascinating to know. Totally. Because I feel like the lawsuit's probably the biggest thing in the whole thing. Sure. But this this is what interested me the most. So the nurses in the hospital, they rotate 12-hour shifts, 7 to 7, 7 to 7. Some of the nurses were very strict about coming in, asking, what is your pain? What can you tolerate? Do we need to medicate it? So it was as needed. You could get a pill every hour, every six hours. It was totally up to the patient's feeling. Other nurses were just like, it's been three hours. Here's your pill. Yeah, those, those are my nurses that I liked. Yeah, right? <laughs> I was like, oh my gosh, it's a level 10. It's yeah. such a level 10. <laughs> oh my gosh. Forced crying. Yeah. And so I see... I. I've had experience with painkillers that were prescribed to me. I've had experience with painkillers that were taken for fun. Oh my God. I, I understand <gasps> the appeal. I understand what they're there for, the purpose of it, and I understand why they're so fun. I understand both sides. I get it too. So if, you, if your body has pain and you're giving something to kill the pain, which is a natural response that your body gives you, it's a very fine line between just masking something that you should be feeling or just, you know, covering symptoms that... Well, and, and then here's the thing is, and, and then who's, who's right is it to tell you that your pain should or should not be managed? Subjective. That's a subjective question. And then yeah. the, the, what pain level are you experiencing right now? I'm the doctor. How the heck do I know if you're telling the truth or not? Yeah. Like, you can just be bullying, because I've done it. Yeah. <laughs> I used to do it in middle school all the time. Oh, my gosh, my tummy hurts. Yeah. Oh, my gosh, I need to go home. And you can't measure it. It's no measurement. I Take mean, so it's like, it. oh, my gosh. Um, you know, there's, we're starting to learn a little bit about, like, chemical makeup of addiction and everything like that. Mm. But, I mean, it's so, it's, we're so barely know anything about it. So, well, what is your stance? Based on what you do know, tell me how you got to your belief and tell me what your belief is. Okay, I would say this. Mm, damn. Um, from personal experience, oh, man, this is where ideology sometimes and in, in, um, personal experience uh, yeah. um, falls into, run, runs into each other a little sure. bit. From a, from a philosophical libertarian stance, I'd feel like you don't have the right to tell me how I need to manage my pain. Problem with that is if you take that same logic and you apply it to the free market where people are then able to sue people um, based on those same freedoms, Mm -hmm. then you're also taking away the freedom of these hospitals, our private industries, to continue doing their business because they're always scared about being sued for you messing up with your 
freedom of choice. Right, right. You know, so I mean, from a personal standpoint, um, of someone who did ha- go through all the stuff, you don't want to be. Um, it sometimes it's better to deal with the pain than to always mask the pain. Sure. Oh man, do I know that well? Because your body's talking to you. Yeah, That's it's part of the healing process, and it's just like. Uh, Pain is not always a bad thing. Sure. Um, I've been on I've been on a lot of medication for my back for the last like six years, mm-hmm. and uh, you know it's a it's a it's a scary path. Luckily, I'm not on anything hard anymore. Mm-hmm. But I mean, man, I went through the withdrawal symptoms. Yeah. And all that stuff, and that's you want to talk about terrifying, man. That's yeah. I understand where you get the the uh, um, phrase "monkey on your back." Sure. I get that. So. Dang, man, I, it really comes down, and I hate to say this, but it comes down to a personal responsibility because the um, doctor can't tell truly if you're in pain. I don't know if he 100%, and a, lot of, and a lot of doctors have different stance on where they feel they should be able to get involved. A lot right. of them feel like, a lot of them say that they shouldn't have the right to tell a doctor, a, a patient, what their pain level is. They should be able to manage it at the whatever they want. And then other ones are like, no, I've dealt with this so much. These people mm-hmm. just abuse like crazy. So right. it's like there's no, con- no, there's no consistency even within the doctors. It's, it's not. Weather. So it's just um, the it's only case way. case by case. Yeah, it's case by case. And it really comes down to the individual person taking stuff. And you even said, and one of the big keys that I, I always tell people was you brought up the big, um, big key of, you know, having access to all of it. Right. Um, celebrities and all this stuff have nonstop access to all this stuff. And that's one of the big keys. The reality is if I, right now, if I wanted some Percocet, I don't have any way to get it. That does stop me become, from becoming a Percocet addict. Right. To an extent. Because if I'm an addict and I have access. addictive tense, and I, but I don't have access to it, I'm not able to be an addict. Right, right. So... Overall, I think it's better that we just beyond, if I had to take a stance right now, yeah. regulate the hell out of it. So you're, wow. <laughs> yeah. Like just That's from personal experience, I know, <laughs> shocking, right? But I mean, I've, from personal experience, I've just seen too much bad stuff with it. Yeah. And um, I, I don't believe, like I, I see the, I see like we've gotten to the point, especially in our medical field, that we, all we do is pop pills now. Mm-hmm. Like we don't even try to fix anything anymore. It's no holistic approach. So it's like, that's Western medicine, though. Yeah. Surgery, chemicals. Yeah, that's all we do now. So, so you're for the, the new regulations that have made it harder for people to get it. You think that's a good thing? Yeah, I do. And because of Prince's death, I fully expect them to be more regulations coming in the very near future. Probably. To make it even harder. Yeah. And you're for that as well. Yeah, and I mean, as someone who really likes these things, yeah. like, because I did have a problem with them. Yeah. I'm glad I do not have unlimited access, access to it. Yeah. Because that well, would I know I know a guy. I don't want to know that guy. <laughs> so I'm just kidding by the way. <laughs> That's a joke. So um yeah, but I'm I, I expect them to break down they're gonna they're gonna tighten up. Yeah. Um I don't know if the doctor should be we don't know enough details yet to decide whether the person should be charged or not. Do you so what happened with Conrad Murray, who was Michael Jackson's doctor? He was he was tried He's and found jail, guilty, he? right? I think so. We could check. I think he's still in jail. And they deemed that something was improper. Like he yeah, was well, giving him drugs that well, were not in all, proper propofol use. Propofol wasn't supposed to be used at home. Correct. That was number one. Wrong setting, it's not wrong like, application. It's not like Percocet. Right. Uh, 
propofol, from what I understand, is used as an anesthesia during to surgery. Put people out for surgery. This is not meant as a right. sleep aid. This is not Ambien. It's correct. <laughs> this is this is like gnarly, gnarly stuff that you have to have somebody monitoring your heart and everything to make right. sure you don't go into cardiac arrest. Um, to me, that one seems like super obvious. Right. Like Percocet is a different story, though. Like now, this this is tricky. So. You remember Amy Winehouse's situation? She is not going to rehab. They tried to make me go to rehab. I said no, no, no. That's what she said. That's what she said. I have a theory. Okay. Now I could be. She should have gone to rehab. I think she did go to rehab. Okay. I think she got clean. This is. I saw the documentary. It was very emotional. I'm a huge Amy Winehouse fan. I'm sad that she's gone. The music was incredible. From what I remember, she did get clean for a time. Like, and like, what's time? Like three or four days? A I short period of time. I don't know. I'm not trying to be sarcastic. A short no period idea. of time, okay. less than a year, a few okay. months at the most. And as you know, the, the detox symptoms are flu-like and beyond. Yeah. They can be life-threatening. You get the tremors or whatever. It affects your nervous system to an extreme amount. And I think she got clean, and it wrecked her immune system of on top of all the drugs and everything that she was doing. And then her tolerance changed, and then she relapsed, and then a little bit of alcohol, drugs, whatever was in her system killed her. That's what I think happened. And I'm gonna draw this parallel to Prince. Okay. They said, according to TMZ, which I think <laughs> nowadays- the most legit source out there, unfortunately. Unfortunately, I think it is. I do too. More I, legit than you know, Channel 2 News or whatever. They, here, I'm going to say one thing about TMZ. Yeah. If there's one thing they don't care, what I like about them, they're all they are is smut. Yeah. So they have no political bias because all they do is do smut. Yeah. So they're up smut front. smells. <laughs> so they don't care. There's like no political correctness and there's right. no political leniency in this because all they are is smut. And unfortunately, that means they're probably the most honest ones out there today. Accurate. Yeah, exactly. So relying on what they said, if his plane came down because he did have a Percocet overdose on the 15th, and let's say he was at a pharmacy trying to get more a week later, the day that he died, I think he was going through withdrawals and that he tried to use a different drug to quote unquote get back to normal or wherever he needed to be and that the cocktail of drugs minus the Percocet is what killed him. You know, um... That's my thought, my theory. Maybe, you know what, I'm... I'm Because he was a pretty healthy guy, but I mean, he wasn't young. 57 is young. But not when it comes down to, like, doing drugs and stuff like that. See? But when you're, when you're healthy and you're successful and you've got access to all healthy foods, personal chefs, whatever lifestyle is not stressful... You should be robust enough to live out your full life. Well, here's the thing is, uh, yes, but at 57, almost 60 years old, yeah. your body is still a 60-year-old. Okay. It cannot take drug abuse like a 26-year-old can. So, sure, he, he was healthy and all that stuff, but your body, like, your heart is just not as strong as a 25-year-old's. Right. Like, your organs are not as strong as a 25-year-old's. A um, you know... That's why most of these overdoses occur in people's late 20s, early 30s and stuff like that. They party like ridiculously hard. The only reason they don't die earlier is because their bodies are like strong. Robust, their bodies yeah. are strong. Their um, organs haven't so failed yet. Maybe that could be it. Or it just might be because he his body just can't take that stuff anymore because he's just beyond the age. And see, 
there are people who are, I'm going to say, quote unquote, doing it right. They've had surgery, they've been in an accident, they're later in life, their doctors are prescribing them basically as much painkillers as they want, and they're surviving, they're living to 70s, 80s, 90s year olds being on all these drugs. That's why I don't buy your theory about him being 60. Like, I think the, you said 90-some percent of Percocet is in the States. It's older people that are taking this. Yeah, it's but I injured mean, people. But we don't, here's another thing. We don't know how much he's taking. We don't. We don't know if we, like, there's a big difference between taking, like, one a day to control a pain mm-hmm. and being a Percocet abuser. I was watching an Eminem um, clip on Facebook the other day, and it was old. Everybody knew he, he was very public with his drug abuse and then recovery. And I don't remember the amount that he was taking, but it was like intervention levels of handfuls, 10, 20, 30, 40 pills a day. Obviously, you can't handle that much. So if you're going through the black market to get access to your drugs, you can take however much you want. But if you are going through a legit doctor, you can probably only take, I don't know, what, one every four hours, 24 hours, six yeah. a day. If, you're, if your doctor's being legit. If your doctor's being legit. And then that we go back to the other one. If right. your doctor's being legit. If he's selling you, then you have unlimited and doctor approval, which is the... That's the dangerous that's comedy. The, yeah. uh, that's the bad cocktail you speak of. Exactly. So, I don't know. I don't but know either. Either way, um, still feel bad. Sucks he died. Um, Did we ever answer the initial question of should his doctor be held We don't know enough yet. I don't know enough yet. No. If, his, if, if his doctor was selling him unnecessary amounts of Percocet, then he's already breaking the law. Okay. So he's already going to go to jail because that is already illegal. So, yeah. So, I mean, um, but we don't know anything yet. Right. People just wanted, I, just, I was just making that, that people were throwing out the book before we even knew anything. Right. Like, we don't have a clue. We don't have a clue. Maybe he was getting some of his Percocet from his doctor and some from the black market to even, even add out. Maybe. That's a very likely scenario. So, I mean, he could be getting us so he has a prescription. So, if he gets busted with Percocet, he has a He's prescription. Covered, yeah. He's covered, but he, 80% of it comes from black. We don't know anything. We I don't. mean, just so you know, if I was a, like a pill-popping rock star, that's what I would do to cover my butt. Yeah. It seems like a logical. Get a prescription, but then get your supply elsewhere. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. You get, so you're covered. Seems like a smart choice to be. Don't do that out don't there. Don't do that. You know what? If there was a prescription for crack, I'd get it. Do I want to take crack? Uh, no. Where are you going with this? You know that the police have a tendency to target brown-skinned people. <laughs> and that they have in the past put unnecessary little bags of crack in motorist car okay. to give justifiable cause to arrest them and take them away from their families. Okay. So knowing that that has happened in the past and may happen in the future, <laughs> if there was a prescription for crack, I'd get it. <laughs> because if a police officer planted crack on me, I'd be like, I'm covered. <laughs> My doctor said the crack is okay. Oh, man. I'm sorry. I don't hope they, make, I do hope they don't make crack legal. Obviously, I'm kidding. I, well, yeah, I got that. I, but I, know, I am I serious. sarcasm a little bit. I am serious about the police, which is a nice little transition for us right here. Okay, yeah, let's go down here. Man, we should put this one on Facebook Live right now. We should put <laughs> oh this gosh. one on live and hear what people have to say on this one. I, I already know what they have to say because this conversation comes up pretty frequently. Yeah, let's have the first one off live, and then we'll have the next one on live. We'll have it then, live. Uh, okay, so let's, let's go down this disturbing route. 
So let, let's just start off from the conversation we had on Facebook the other day. Oh, yeah. That was a good one, actually. Yeah. All right. About, let's start, though. About profiling. Okay. Um, myself and a few other people were stating our experiences. I cracked a joke about white privilege, by the way. That's what started this whole thing. That's what started it. And do you, should we start at white privilege or should we start with the profiling? Uh, well, they kind of both go. They, they go in together. Hand, hand. So we had this thread going. You, it was very funny, the joke about the privilege. It was two, it was a white lady going through uh, the grocery store checkout, and she was like, oh, you're white and have a discount. You yeah. Know, it was a, it's so nice being white. Here's exactly. a discount. <laughs> exactly. And so myself and a couple other brown skin people were pointing out the fact that white privilege does exist and that not having white privilege often means that we are the target of racial profiling and treatment that is not okay. And that, in my opinion, white privilege means that you get the benefit of the doubt on things that a non-white person would not get. So I get pulled over by the cops, and I think many times it's because of my skin color. Hmm. And I don't know if people agree or disagree that that happens, but most people, I would say, tend to say, oh, you're imagining it, or it's not real, or my favorite, just follow the law and nothing will happen to you. You know, okay, so first of all, I'm going to say this straight up. White privilege does exist. Thank it you. does exist. Okay. And, but here's the thing is it doesn't exist in always the way people are saying it does. Okay. Okay. And that's what I mean by that. Like, here's the thing is, and statistically wise, of course, white privilege is going to exist because the majority of the world of the country is white. So that's what it comes down to. So I'll give you an example of white privilege. That is actually a legitimate white privilege. Okay. Um, I had this, uh, I had this, uh, uh, debate with somebody recently that we don't use enough people in acting in movies, okay? People and of color. Yeah, uh, people of color. Lack of diversity. It's, it's mostly just white people. And I said, okay, from a marketing standpoint, here's what you got to look at, though. 75% of your country is Caucasian. So if you're going for a business move, you're going to create something towards the majority for a dollar amount. And by Caucasian, you mean um, white people of European descent, white-looking people. You know, I don't even know what the definition of white is anymore, but sure. people. So what's going to happen is, so you're going to market to the people who make up the big, biggest majority of the people that are buying the product, okay? It's the same thing in marketing. I get the same thing asked, how come we don't use people of color? It's because the majority of the people that are buying need to be able to relate to the product, and the person they see the bigger majority relates to the Caucasian community. Okay. Okay. Does that make sense from a marketing standpoint? Yeah. It's numbers. So, it's, you can't argue with that. So statistically wise, it makes more sense for these people to do this because the bigger piece of the pie for a monetary comes from the Caucasian community. If you're Target making your up, buyers. You're targeting your buyers. That is though leaving other people out. Okay. In which case you could call that white privilege because now they get they get a bunch of extra opportunities that the minorities are not going to get. So it does exist. Right. The question is you have to put it in per- proper perspective is what I think. So we can go through a couple different scenarios. Now here the thing is how do I want to say this? Okay. There's a couple with the scenario you have um, um, about profiling, about profiling, like mm-hmm. with the police officers. Um, now, there's a couple ways to do this. I'll tell you this: there's, there's, from anybody uh, who gets pulled over, mm-hmm. 
it's not right, which I can understand. Like, wait, wait, you're saying the fact that they're being pulled over is not okay? Yes, it's not okay. And I understand that you would say that's messed up. Right. And then, but the, the people on the other side are going to say, well, they're playing the statistics. You're talking about the people that say it's okay the, the to profile. The people that are telling you that you just need to follow the law, right. they're playing a statistical game without any emotion. Okay. Okay, and what I mean by that is, um, let's say I, I live in, I, I, I'm living in an area called, like, near an area called Westlake, California. Oh, yes. Okay? Which is 99.99999% white. True story. Okay? Then let's take, let's take uh, Chicago for an example. Okay. Okay. Chicago, which is heavily diverse and everything like that, okay? Are the crime statistics of those two areas very different? From Westlake to the whole city of Chicago? Well, I mean, just I'm taking districts. Let's take, let's take, let's take for example, and I'm just going to show you. Don't, don't get mad at me. I know where I'm going with this. So let's take, let's take a heavily minority community. Okay? Give me a specific one since we're using Let's examples. take Compton. Okay. Okay, let's call Comp- Compton or Watts. Okay. Okay, versus like... And, and this is not saying that the, anybody's better than anybody else. I'm gonna get, I know where I'm going with this. So you got Westlake, California. Okay. And you got Compton. Okay. Okay. Obviously, and I picked these two things for a specific reason. One's okay. heavily crimed and one's heavily not crimed. Okay. Okay. So you have Westlake where nothing really happens except for white kids getting coked up. That's like the majority that makes up that. In Compton, you have crime going on. They have, it's, you have a heavy patrol going on, this stuff going on in this area. Now, do you, are you talking about gang violence in Compton, or are you talking I'm about just talking just overall, overall crime? numbers? Overall numbers. Okay. Because there's just not. I'm I'm giving Westlake as a, as a, as a specific scenario because nothing happens there. That's what I'm specific. I've been pulled over in Westlake, but we'll get to that. Okay, but I'm gonna. I, and I and I understand that that can happen, and I'm actually leading somewhere to it. Go ahead. Okay, so you have these two areas. So let's say um, some kids in Westlake do something. Okay. Do something bad. Um, and something, let's say, something uh, illegal drugs related. Let's do something illegal. Okay. Okay. I often get the uh, I often get the argument. I hear the argument that they that they're um, they're gonna can, they're gonna charge the black kid. I think they say like seventy five percent more often than they will the children of the the white kid. Probably more, but let's statistically use that. wise, that probably makes sense. But what I mean by that is in Westlake, because stuff doesn't happen very often. Like for an example, let's say you get drunk driving or something like that. Okay. Because it's a it's well maybe not that one. There might be actually a lot of drunk driving going on in that area. So let's take something else like um, another offense. Uh, give me another another. No, offense. let's stick with the cocaine. Okay. You said they so get coked up in Westlake. They do get coked up in Westlake. So let's say they like their powder. But because stuff doesn't happen very often and it's a pretty slow area, mm-hmm. the cops are a lot more lenient with the kids than they would be in an area where crime is always occur- always occurring. Because it's because in this area, it's not because, affecting the quality of life of the citizens in, that live there. In this area where crime doesn't happen that often, they can brush stuff off because it's not happening all the time. But an area where crime is occurring all the time, they can't be lenient on it because it's occurring so often. So, so you're saying it would to. set a bad standard. So that's what I'm saying. So you get the option. So it's not only just it's not always just based on race. There's other scenarios that go into play. I hear, I hear what you're saying and using your statistics against you. <laughs> Go. If you look at the percentage of young white males, let's just say, that do drug-related crimes, let's say cocaine possession, just the number of white kids that there are versus the number of white kids that ha- are guilty of possessing cocaine. 
And then you take the total number of black kids that there are and the total number of black kids that have at one point in their life possessed cocaine. The numbers are not that far off. You'd think that they would be, but they're not. What so you, they're what prosecuted. Do you mean numbers, though, total numbers, percentage, of yes, or percentages, percentages, take, take or a, numbers. Take a take a, a hundred kids that are white from Westlake. Okay, get what you're saying. And then take that's 100 a hundred kids. That's a percentage. percentage. You're talking percentage. Okay. Percentage. They're not that far off. Okay. Okay. But the number of times that the police prosecute them is way out of proportion. And somebody, let me finish this real quick. Somebody pointed out Barack Obama as a very interesting example. So he's appears African American. He's multiracial. Okay. Okay. He was raised by his white grandparents in Hawaii. And Barack Obama, in his book, admitted to the fact that he experimented heavily with marijuana, cocaine, on a regular basis throughout his childhood and early adulthood. Now, put him in Chicago instead of Hawaii. Put him in a predominantly black neighborhood. Same experiences, same activities. He probably would have been in jail and he would have never been the president of the United States. Yeah, I, I, I probably. That's white privilege. He was benefiting from the but there, fact. But it also has to do with Hawaii, low crime area. Chicago, high crime area where they can't let, where they just have to convict because there's so much crime that they have to control it. It's another factor that you have to take into account. Now, white privilege would be, and I'll give you a, and it happens, and I'm not saying white privilege doesn't exist, by the way. So if you have that same black kid, in Westlake, mm-hmm. with the white kid, yeah. and the black kid gets convicted sure. under the same scenario, that would be the white privilege. But you can't take two areas that are completely different in crime, compare them next to each other, and say this is privilege because the crime levels are so different. This, it would have to be a true same scenario to call it privilege. Does that make sense? Uh, it, it makes sense, and I, and I see what you're saying. There's there's so many factors on why those communities are in that circumstance to begin with. Okay, that's that, that, you know that's what I mean. Totally, it's, it's yeah, a different and you thing. could and you, and you can actually make a great case that a lot of the reasons those the communities are in that are also white privilege. You can totally. actually make that argument, and that's that's exactly where I was going yeah. with that. So it's not a black and white issue, obviously. Oh come on, you could totally fit but, joke in there somewhere. <laughs> But, but having, having lived in Ventura County, having lived in L.A. County as an adult, it's, it's so obvious to me of where you're getting targeted and people, the police are pulling you over, harassing you, accusing you of things, when I know that if I was white, it wouldn't be happening like that. And I don't live in Compton. You know, I lived in these nicer areas that were predominantly white and even dressed up. You know, but just because you tie. dress like a gangster, bro. Oh, do I? <laughs> With your polo shirt. With my polo shirt. <laughs> Looking very, very Kanye fresh. pants. Yeah, right? That was just because they were too long and I ordered them online. Um, but you know, th- what frustrates me is that so many people just refuse to acknowledge that it exists. Like you said, white privilege does exist, but then you gave a caveat. You know, it's got to be pretty much the exact circumstances that you're comparing in order for that to be considered privilege. So I appreciate where you're coming from, but at least you're acknowledging it. Oh, yeah. So many people say it doesn't exist well, at and all. You, and you know, I'll tell you this, in defense of the white folk here, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to defend the white folk for a second. Okay. The problem is um, they, they're on the defense right now because they feel like they're being targeted when they don't have anything to do with it. Targeted for what? Um, they, because the people that are claiming like white privilege, they 
despite them realizing it, they are accusing their fellow people of doing this stuff when the fellow people just think they're trying to be part of the community. So they actually feel like these people, these people that are defending, like saying there's no such thing, mm-hmm. you notice they're very defensive. Very. Very defensive because they actually feel like they're being judged here. Okay. They actually feel like you're, they're being accused of doing this stuff when a lot of people aren't. But nobody wants them to do anything. People just want them to acknowledge it and I guess sympathize. People are not asking well, you to change thing, your behavior. You know, I've had that same, you know, I had the same conversation in that feed. I said, okay, I said, even, I said, let's pretend you're 100% right. I told somebody in there. I was like, what's the solution? I was like, what's the solution? I was like, and I even gave, I was like, give me a solution. Mm-hmm. And that's where it stops a lot of times. Mm-hmm. And that's what, that's, that's a problem. Because what happened is everybody's raising all this heat about this, but there really is no solution in place. And it's just creating a bunch of tension, but nobody has any ideas of what we're supposed to do about it. So if I think you might, if, you, if there was an actual solution to something and there was a way to actually do it, you might not have people so far on the fence all the time. I think there are solutions. Okay, let, tell me. And I, I don't know. Go ahead, tell me. The, the first thing, and I didn't come up with this on my own, is getting away, doing away with mandatory minimums for oh, sentences. Dude, I'm, what, what do you mean by mandatory sentences, minimums? So the, the first example that comes to mind is the three strikes rule. Okay. So you can have a low-level drug offender getting caught three times for you know, barely qualifying as a felony, and they get 25 to life. And you're against that. Correct. Okay. And then there's also, you know, everybody knows, about, well, I don't know about everybody, but you have your cocaine, powder cocaine sentences, and then you have your crack cocaine sentences. So you get basically 50 times the prison time. For the one times heavier in the black community. Correct. Yeah. And these are systematically targeting poor people, black people, to give them longer prison sentences. So not only are you more likely to be targeted, not only are you more likely to be pulled over and searched, and we talked earlier that the percentages of people doing this, white versus black, are very similar, but because you're targeted more, you're more likely to be caught, and add that onto that, you have to get, by law, because of these mandatory minimums, put in jail for a majority of your adult life, which strips you of your voting rights, it strips you of your ability to get a job, it ruins your family dynamic, so that's the first step, is getting away, doing away with that law. And then... And then it's just a, then what's the alternative though? Okay, so you get rid of minimums, mandatory minimums, then it's just you sentence based on... You're you're where you are case by case basis. Okay. So if you've got, if a judge looks at a young person who was guilty of something, they can look at the whole situation and make a judgment, because that's what they're there for as judges, and sentence them appropriately and not just say, well... But the here, law book says I got to give you 30 years and ruin your life, even though you made a reasonable mistake. See, the and counter argument the reason those mandatory minimums were in there were to deter, deter crime. That's Has why the mandatory. Worked. We've but, had enough time to know that they don't work. So, but, but counter argument, too, and I'm not saying it's wrong. It's, do you not think it's not going to spike the problem even more now that you've le- lowered? Absolutely not. No? No. See, I, and I, there's no way for me to know that because we would just have to see but, how that but plays we know, out. But we know the other way. We know that having them in place does not curb crime. We know that. So would the correct answer be to try out a non-mandatory and then try it for a couple of years and see how it performs? 
Well, I think that on its face, it's a racist policy. It okay. definitely targets well, okay. not only racist, but classist. It targets poor and minorities okay. more. So based on that, you do away with it completely on a trial basis. Okay. You do away with it. Well, and what if, happens? if a generation goes by and we see that it has spiked, then we change it accordingly. Okay. But that's to what, me, and that's what I'm saying. Yeah. To that's me, it's obvious. Okay. It's, but once again, I, I don't have an argument for it. I have no idea. There's no way for me to know that. Yeah. I do know that, um, I do know that um, for the most part, human philosophy says the higher the punishment, the more deterrent. But, I, but here's the thing. But that's a broad overall stroke that doesn't take into account 14 million factors. Right. So, so I mean. Well, you said there's no solution, and I gave you a solution. A part of a solution, part of a multi-pronged approach, but that's one thing it's, that it's, can be done legislatively now. Okay, and that's going to stop white privilege, though. No, 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 no. What that's okay. going to do is take away one of the cards okay. that stack the deck against okay. a specific group of people. So you believe a lot of this can be handled legislatively? No. Okay. No, 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 no. Okay. I'm just thinking because I know how you think. I'm I'm putting a legislative. Um, solution on the table. Okay. So it's something that we can, as a community, vote on and change. Okay. It's not changing people's hearts. It's not changing people's minds. It's changing the law. And that's why I gave that specific okay. solution. Uh, don't have an issue with it. Don't have an issue with it. Um, to be honest, I'd have to do a lot more research. Yeah. I don't know. I do not know the statistics but, as well. But as just assuming what I said is true, how can you argue with that? Um, well, what I'll tell you is, uh, and I'm not going to because I am a very, very open-minded person. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I'll tell you that uh, your big argument is going to be that all you're going to see is a spike of increase because you've lowered now the deterrent to crime. That's going to be your counter-argument. And the only thing that I, that's why I said the only other option you have to that to see that is you have to play it out for a couple of years and see how it see how it works. But I mean, at the heart of it, I mean, you. It, it, going to get beyond the legislative, but there's a lot more things that make up the uh, deterring somebody to crime than just legislation. You know, the family unit, circumstances, education, there's a lot of stuff that goes in there. You ever read the book Freakonomics? No, I have not. Are you familiar with it? No, I am not. Malcolm Gladwell wrote a book called Freakonomics. It was a national bestseller. I listened to the audiobook and I was half paying attention to it because I was driving and doing other things. But something that stuck with me from this book, very fascinating statistic. So Roe v. Wade. Yep. That made... That's um, abortion, just in case you don't know. That made abortion legal, yes. correct? So extrapolate out 18 years beyond when that law went into effect. It went into effect, okay? So you've got a whole generation of unwanted children that were not born because they were able to be aborted, Okay. That 18th year in America, crime dropped off significantly by like a huge statistic that you can't ignore. I don't know the number. I don't want to quote it wrong, but like, let's say 50% crime dropped. So that factor, you wouldn't have been able to know that that law would have changed crime, right? Yeah. Okay. I see what you're saying. You see what I'm saying? So there's so many factors involved that change the makeup of a society or change the makeup of a community that we can't, we can't use those factors to make decisions on our laws today. Yeah. 
You know what I mean? Yeah, and then but here's the thing. Take that counter argument. Now with that same thing, now with the uh, Roe versus Wade, mm-hmm. okay, what it's done to society now with the uh, concept of people just leaving women to fend for themselves and everything like that. How do you mean? Uh, because guys now feel that they just all they have to do is just uh, they don't have to support the woman anymore and they just uh, go get an abortion. Yeah. Um, we've seen a huge spike in single mothers also since since Roe versus Wade. Okay. Well, the number one, did you know the number one statistic that 80% of convicts have in common is they come from a broken home? Mm, okay. Okay. So it's another unintended consequence of the same thing, though. Right. That also led to crime at the same time. And I'm not saying that is a specific thing, but you're right. There's also, you can take the exact same thing. But now we had that drop off, and now we're seeing a later problem because of it right right now if you want to go wait, i don't want to go into the abortion debate uh, that's that's <laughs> save one, that for another day that's one debate that you need its own time for. somehow we got from white privilege to abortion so I, i'd commend well, us on you know what here's the thing is and i i think that's good because i'll tell you why because um it's a very complicated issue um because inequality goes hand in hand with white privilege which goes hand in hand with you know um all these different factors all these things lead up to um to this huge thing that we call like white privilege okay so so remember earlier when you said 90 some percent of painkiller prescriptions come from america we're also the number one leader in incarcerating our citizens Mm -hmm. we've got the highest percentage of citizens in jail out of any country developed country i'm not sure I read a statistic the other day that said one out of every two, so 50% of adult black women have a loved one in jail. White people don't face that problem. Mm-mm. Why is that? I know. That's a, that's a pretty complicated one. First it of is, all, but first of all, mass incarceration is a racial issue. It's a class issue, but it's an American issue, hands well, down. Here's the thing is, I'll tell you this, minus any racial the freest society is always going to have the highest car- incarceration. Bullshit. I don't yeah. buy that. That's, I 100% agree with that. I 100% disagree with you on Because this. you're giving them the opportunity to yeah, the commit more The more, more opportunity crimes. you have to commit crimes, the more chance you're going to take on it. If you have a freer society, with, if you have this makeup of society with people of all different cultures, of no. all different ideologies, completely mixed ideologies, there's no cohesion you're going to have the highest incarceration, right? Because there's no control over anything. Like you can have, you can have, there's freedom when everybody has the same culture and everybody has the same morals and all the fabrics together. Mm -hmm. Then you might see, but we have such an uncontrollable mixture of everything in our society. There's no way it can be controlled. Like we can't even. Well, you said it can be, can't be controlled. It shouldn't be controlled because it's a free society. Well, now, free the, society doesn't mean you don't go to jail. The, the same place that I got that quote about so many you know, black women having uh, a loved one in jail, they also said that in America, because it's so diverse, like you're saying, you're, you're saying it's because things are not controlled, that there's more opportunity for crime, etc. I would argue, and so would the source, this book that I can't think of the name of right now, I think it's called The New Jim Crow, I believe is the name of the book. Because our society is so um, heterogeneous, so different, people look at people that are different than them 
and it's fear-based. You're locking people up because they don't look like you. They don't act like you. They don't talk like you. You know what I mean? Well, I mean, in general, I mean, that's how humans are. Like we, I mean, you go to, you're always going to migrate to people that are closest to you, that to your like ideology. You. Not always look like you, that but have like the you. closest culture to you. Okay. Whatever your culture values are. So, I mean, and let's not kid ourselves. Cultures are, some cultures are enemies of other cultures and values are enemies of other values. Like we went through the back time, coexisting is BS in a lot of scenarios. So do racial have something to do with it? Yes, because a lot of times racial and races have the same culture, okay? They have very similar cultures. Like if you say, what is, does the black community have a culture? I think most people would say yes, that it has a culture. Does that mean every black person falls into that culture? No, I would not say that. Do white people have a certain culture? Sure. It's just a little Do more Hispanics boring. Hispanics have, yeah, it's way boring. <laughs> and they don't dance. Do Hispanics have a culture? Yes. Do the Chinese have a culture? Yes. So they always migrate. That's why you have Chinatown. That's sure. why you have Armenia Town. Sure. That's why you have all these other areas because everybody migrates to where they are. And some things, I mean, like, let's not pretend like any of us are, are above it. Things scare us about other cultures. Let's not kid ourselves. I mean, I, I mean, the reality is I am a pretty open, I'm pretty open-minded guy, I would say, to an extent, of course. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, you know, with, like, history, what we had in this country, you know, I'm not, we all get a little, we get a little uh, sketchy on some things that we have had bad, um, had bad, uh, um, Experiences. Bad experiences with or things that have been shown to us or, you know, things that have been taught to us. Mm-hmm. It's naturally ingrained to kind of be scared of things that are different from you. Um, I don't believe there's a solution to that. I don't believe there's a solution to that. To, to the fear that's no, naturally in people. No. There's no And people would like to say that there is, but I, that's one area where I'm going to disagree. There is no solution. So... But there, if you acknowledge that it's there, you can fight against it within yourself. Yeah, I mean, if everybody's willing to jump on board with that, the problem is most people aren't willing to jump on board with that. It's not a lot to ask. Uh, a philosopher, that I, um, he had a really uh, interesting solution to the police problem. Which you, police you problem? The, the profiling okay, and go. the inequality in the, in the police force and the mass incarcerations. Only black people are allowed to be police. Dude, I actually support that 100%. Do you know the philosopher that I'm talking of? No. Daniel Tosh. Shut up. Yeah. That's <laughs> I watched the special last uh, night. You know what's funny? Um, <laughs> I do, I, to be honest, I wouldn't have an issue with that. Not a bad idea, right? I would not have an issue with it. He, if, he said in a joking, obviously he's a stand-up comic, but I was like, huh. I, I, I bet you that would alleviate a lot of problems. A lot. So, I mean, I, the problem is like. Um, would it, it fix everything? No. Are we being serious? No. Well, but I'm is there something there? A little bit. There's I'm something being there. Serious a little bit. I mean, you'd have to get. Uh, I mean, that's a very difficult thing to do. But I mean, you can't do it because then you're profiling and being racially biased towards the opposite direction. But um, I mean, if 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 all of our problems, I mean, the majority is it's it's the we're focusing in today's world is the on black crime. Mm. We're not focusing on the on Hispanic crime, the Han Haitian crime. It's the black crime. Um, so, <laughs> if we could somehow work that out, I'd support it just to 
the, the, the last quote that I want to leave you guys with from, from this book that I heard, overheard, this is like third person translation, um, but what, which, which crime is bigger? The offense of the quote unquote criminal, whatever they did, let's stick this with nine nonviolent drug offenses, or the society that's locking them up for the majority of their adult life. Which is the bigger crime committed? You asking me a question? No, I'm just leaving you with that thought. Okay. I'm just leaving you with that thought. It's a tough question to answer. Something to think about. It's a tough question to answer. But going back to what you said about, you know, the fear of the other, it's valid, you know. Um, people with more diverse backgrounds and more diverse experiences have less of that in them. No. They're not scared of foreigners. They're not scared of gay people or people with alternative lifestyles. Um, recently, something about a transgender bathroom <laughs> yeah. has come up. And uh, th- yeah. this is, it's not funny to me, but it is funny to me. It's a little funny to me. Man. I was at um, a memorial service. A friend of my wife's had their father pass away. And we went to this Italian restaurant for the, the after service. You know, they, he was a veteran, so they did the flag presentation. Um, we had a meal, slideshow, family gave speeches. It was really nice. Uh, I went to the restroom, and they had three restrooms. They had a men's restroom, a woman's restroom, and another restroom with a man and a woman signed by it. It didn't have it was a question mark? And no, it wasn't a question mark. It had oh. both. Okay. And so I took a picture of it, and I was showing people. I was like, look how progressive. This is Lancaster, and they got a, a bathroom. Okay, so I went to go sign up for a new gym today. Yeah. And it said gender, and it said male, female, unspecified. Unspecified. And I, and I just looked at him, and he gave me this weird look, too. I'm like. <laughs> <laughs> but the, the bathroom that I saw, and I took a picture, and it was funny, but it was just a staff restroom that was for both. It was a lockable, single-unit bathroom. But it just gave me a little moment of pause, like, is this something that we're going to be seeing? Are we uh, going to be seeing? Well, you're going to be seeing a lot of it. So what, what's, the, what's the issue? Lay out the issue, and then lay out your, your position for it. Okay. Uh, the issue is that some people don't identify of the, the gender that they appear to be. Okay. Um, or I think the North Carolina law specifically makes you go to the... Um, Bathroom of the which you were born as. It, whatever your genitalia is, you go to that restroom. That's um, North Carolina stance. Okay, uh, you know, I'm pretty open-minded. Not open-minded on this one. Okay. I think Why? this is stupid. Okay. Okay, I, I, I know. You're saying North Carolina's law is legit, and the people that are. I think this whole thing is stupid. Um, we are willing to. Where I like look. Answer I, the question. So their law is valid. You're, you're saying I think that that's... It's, I, I think it's stupid that we have to make a law, Okay, is what I'm saying. I think we're being become so stupid as a society that this has to be a law in the first place. And so you're you know saying what? it should be common sense and people should follow this Good without... Lord. Okay, so we don't want to offend these people. Um, Who's these trans, people? The transgender, transgender. people that and are let's, struggling with... The- let's, uh, sorry to interrupt you. Let's um, define it. Transgender means just that you identify with the gender that you don't appear to be, correct? I don't even know what they, we've decided what the official meaning is anymore. Okay. Okay, let's just say you're, let's pretend, I'm just going to make up a scenario because I think this falls into the line of transgender. Um, I am a boy, but I identify as a girl. Okay. Okay, um, so we don't want to offend that transgender person, which right. makes up 0.001% of the community. So we're willing to offend 78% of the community 
to not offend the 0.0001% of the community. Um, for me, statistically wise, that's just stupid. Okay, I understand not wanting to offend people, even though I enjoy doing it. But if you're going to have to make a decision between offending 0.0001% of the community or 70% of the community, that seems like a black and white issue to me. So first of all, as a small business guy, I don't believe that you should force somebody to make a third bathroom because that's extremely costly for a business, first of all. So they shouldn't be screwed having to build extra bathrooms. First of all, in structures, most people don't have three-part bathrooms. They're usually one two. Now, so, I mean, if you got a guy and a girl bathroom, they can't build. You want to freaking have to have businesses fork out 10, 15 grand to build a third bathroom? That pisses me off, to be honest. Counterpoint. Go. Handicap access. That represents what percentage of the population? Let's use the same point zero one. Okay. That are... Uh, fully handicapped okay. to where they need uh, wheelchair access or need special access. Aren't business owners carry that burden of making access for that portion of the population as yeah, well? But do you have to? But it doesn't change how you're going to have to differentiate what people go into the bathrooms. Still cost you ten grand plus to outfit your bathroom to be I, able to. I don't think it's very that. expensive to. Oh, it is. You'd be is surprised. It? You'd be surprised. It's not just a little rail. You have to have ramps from everywhere, from the parking lot to inside your structure to everywhere, bathroom, you have to have a certain size, certain clearance, certain width of your doorway. You might have to put in a whole new bathroom. It could very well be just as inconveniencing. Right? So isn't that just as wrong? No, no, because I'm sorry. I'm sorry if I offend anybody. Don't be. I'm sorry. No, I'm not. What am I saying? I'm not offended. I don't care. I'm not sorry. (laughs) I'm not going to pretend like I'm sorry. You know what? If you identify as something else, suck it up. I'm sorry. Suck it up and deal with it. Don't inconvenience everybody else. So every time that this transgender person goes to a public restroom, they should be forced to deal with the shame of going into a restroom to which they don't identify? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'm just I'm not making yeah, fun of you. I'm just I know. clarifying. Yeah. And I know it when you make it out like that, it sounds so harsh. But I'm just looking at statistics here, and I'm just looking at let's not freaking make everything ridiculously hard yeah. for 0.001% of the community. I, I understand that it's such a hot issue, but sometimes you're going to be offended. And I'm sorry, I don't, I don't side on this issue with it, and I don't sympathize. I, I think I have a solution. Go. I think I have a solution. So take a Starbucks, for example, who's got a men and, and women's restroom. I don't know if this is across the board, but I've been in a few where if you, like I'm there with my wife, you know, if she needs to go to the restroom, she has to go to the manager and get a key to get access to the women's restroom, which is locked 24-7. The men's restroom, you can just go in and lock when you're in there and it's unlocked the rest of the day or there's a code or whatever. So there's more unrestricted access to the men's restroom. I guess the logic is... You're protecting women from being yeah, assaulted. Yeah, let's not kid ourselves. Let's not kid ourselves. Right? Nobody's scared about women going into the men's bathroom. Exactly. That was my we're, point. Exactly. We're only scared about perverts going into the girls' bathroom. Exactly. And that's the heart of the issue. Yeah, that's the heart of the issue. Right. And let's, let's not beat around the bush. We're scared about weird, freaked out, messed up dudes. Right. Uh, I'm not saying all transgender people are freaked out, messed up dudes. What I'm saying that's what we're scared of. The arguments like this. I don't want a 
confused, messed up male going in while my daughter is in the bathroom, which by the way, I don't care how you feel. That's a legit argument. It is a legit, it's a legit argument. So, (laughs) um, now if you're talking about just like, should, should everything just be locked then just like one person at a time locked bathrooms is that is that the solution that would be a very easy fix and for small starbucks type um establishments that would work because you don't have a huge flow of people you don't have a bunch of stalls so what do you do with the large see because you can't do that that's tricky but here here's my solution and it's gonna require a little bit of honesty on the part of the patron but okay i remember being a kid and going shopping with my mother and grandmother they take me to the mall with them go to Macy's, I'm eight years old, they need to use a restroom, or I need to use a restroom, we both go in the women's restroom. I'm a young boy, and they're overprotective, they don't feel safe of me going into the men's restroom where there could be male predators. So my solution is this. And it's always men, by the way. Always. Even on the boys, it's always men. If you've got working male genitalia, you're not allowed in the women's restroom, period. I am game with that. End of story. Because you know what? And I, it, it, because that's the thing. I remember same same scenarios. Like yeah. they would bring him in there, the mother because didn't want to be alone, have to take care of the right. Because you know what? Certain things are accepted by society. Right. We understand that little kids sometimes can't be left alone. Right. We're okay with that. We're not okay. I am perfectly fine with girls being able to go in guys' bathrooms. Sure. I don't want dudes going into girls. I have to agree. And that's where the whole problem exists. But you know, and you know why that's offensive right there? Because the majority of transgender people are men being up as women. That's the problem. Mm. It ain't women being men. It's the reverse. Right. And there are a few of those, but that's not the majority. The majority are the men dressing up as women. Right. Um, But that's offensive. But it seems like a legit, like, (laughs) common sense solution to me. And And it allows the scenario that I just laid out a woman taking her young son into the women's restroom because his junk is not functioning properly yet. Yeah, I mean, and, you know, and nobody has a problem with that. The and, mom has to take his, and my, my definition of working male genitalia is that if you can get an erection on call on the spot, that means it's working. Yeah. When you're, when you're an eight year old boy, great standard by the right? way. <laughs> Thank you. You got hey lawmakers. Listen to me. I know what I'm talking about. But if you're an eight-year-old boy, you don't have control over your erections. It has nothing to do with uh, sexual yeah. attraction or function. And I would give the same argument for a transgender uh, male who's transitioning, whose stuff doesn't work anymore because they've had an operation. So that person, I feel like, under the standards that I've set, should be allowed in the women's restroom because their junk doesn't work. Well... I mean, here's and there, there are no threats to women. There are no threats to women. And, and you know what? But here's you, you want to know. Uh, you want real life scenario. Let's see how this plays out. Yeah. Um, I mean, and I, this is the reality. Whether you people out there want to believe this or not, this is what's going to happen. Some dude's going to be standing outside of a, of a bathroom waiting for his daughter, and he's going to see this transitioning that looks like a guy walk in there, and he's going to go after him. Yeah. And you know what? He's not going to do. He's not going to ask him if he's transitioning. That's true. And he's not going to ask, and he's not going to be nice about it. He's going to beat the living crap out of him. Yeah. And that's what's going to happen. And you can say, oh, that's not going to happen, but that's reality. Because right. I'll tell you one thing, dads are not okay with putting their daughters in danger. Nope. They're not okay with it. And they don't care about your law. They don't care about your good intentions. 
They don't care about any of that. They care about protecting their kid, and that takes priority over everything. And this is going to cause violence. And sorry, if you wanted to protect these transgender people, this is not how you do it, because this is going to end up getting a lot of them hurt. Hmm. This is going to get them hurt, not the opposite. If you want to protect them, make them be inconvenienced emotionally for a little bit because they're not going to be physically hurt, hmm, yeah. but they're going to be. And some people are going to hear this and they're going to go, oh, he's making a threat. No, I'm not. I'm telling you this is what it's like in the real world Right. because some people aren't going to accept this and they're not going to be okay with this and they're not going to care what the law says because some people don't believe you can transition. Some people believe that there is only men and women. Mm-hmm. Some people believe if you're not sure about that, then there's something wrong with you. Not that you're just in the wrong body. And okay? a lot of those people are in North Carolina. And a lot of those people are in the South. And there's a lot of people, there are a lot of those people in the South. And you know what? A lot of those people in the South are big bar, burly guys that are ready to, ready to fight too. Yeah. So here's your reality. Now us people on California, you California wussies. <laughs> you know, yeah, you guys are listening to it. All you people in California are so wussy, it's ridiculous. Pussification. It, yeah, the, the, mom, I just use the word pussification. <laughs> um, but that's what it is. Everybody thinks that the rest of the world is like California, that we're all easygoing, nice people. That ain't the rest of the world. These people sit in California, and they just think, oh, everybody's open-minded. No, it's not like that. And you know what? It's not going to be like that. And first of all, telling people to accept a major societal change within a month and calling them bigots is not going to do any good. Right. Because this at minimal, if it ever is accepted, first of all, is going to take years. Generations. It's going to take, gener- it's going to take generations until the people, because there's certain things that people will not accept and you're going to have to wait till they die off before people start accepting it. It's true. I hope I am offending somebody right now. Oh, and I know right, you are. I know Right you are. now, somebody is so ticked off at me and I just want you to know that you're still a sweetheart. <laughs> so the solution is a single lockable bathroom, right? Have we agreed upon that? You got to do okay. You can do that in a you can do that in a regular place, single lockable bathroom. But we still haven't figured out. Oh, our solution was no guys allowed in the girls' bathroom. If your junk works. If your junk works, yeah. no guys allowed in the girls' bathroom in place. Yeah. That's it. That's our. So that's it is. okay. Looks like we're gonna be writing this law ourselves. <laughs> I got a legal pad over here. I can write this some, somewhere. Yeah. What that's else we crazy. got? Um, well, you were telling me on the way over here about the, the Trump rally that turned violent. I have no, oh, you have to tell me about it because I didn't okay, see it. Okay, so uh, it was pretty entertaining. So um, as you know, I'm not a Donald Trump supporter. I actually have not told anybody who I'm supporting. Yeah, you didn't tell me. I, I sat down with you for three, or two and a half hours. You didn't tell yeah, me. I don't tell anybody who I'm supporting. Um, I believe voting is something that I do in the privacy of my own booth. In the booth or whatever. Is this a transgender booth or is this a... Man, woman, booth. Oh, these ones are these ones are uh, they're, there's they're unisex. Unisex, okay. They're Just unisex. Just there's no urinals. Okay. So it's not it's not it's not it's not. And if you've got your junk out in the voting booth, I think you've got other issues. Yeah. Probably. Hope. Yeah. We got some serious issues. <laughs> that, if that gets you excited in there, where you're doing that, then you. Got I'm some voting serious. for Donald Trump with my dick. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm American. So, anyways, um, so he came to Costa Mesa. Okay. Okay, Costa Mesa, by the way, very heavily uh, Hispanic community. Isn't that Orange County, Costa Mesa? Yeah, but Costa Mesa is a heavily uh, Hispanic community. Okay. So that was the big thing. Um, he, had a, he had a rally in, Trump, in uh, California, out in Costa Mesa, mm-hmm. um, because he wants to lock up California. No doubt about it. That's a big winner for him. Um, so he did a, um, 
did a, he did a rally here, you know, like all presidential candidates do, they do the rallies. I listened to a, uh, I'm going to give him a plug right now. I listened to John and Ken on KFI okay. and 640. I listened to them cause they actually went and they, uh, um, did a whole play by play cause I wanted to listen to what this is truly. I've seen what the news has to say. I know what the news shows, by the way, I don't trust the news media. But I, I've seen what they say about him. So what I wanted to know was, is this true? So I figured I'd listen to the whole thing as they literally had, stood out there with mics and they literally did the whole play-by-play for all five, six hours of the whole thing. Okay. Not inside. I didn't hear the actual speak. All they were there to do was cover the outside of what was going on. Gotcha. And, uh, oh man, what I listened to on via them, mm. via what I heard on the news next day, wow, how different it was. <laughs> Is that right? Wow. Talk about how the media twists things. Yeah. Yeah. I saw violence on the news the, na- the next day. I, violence breaks out of Trump rally, all this stuff. Uh, you know who was doing all the violence? The brown people? No, it was all the Bernie Sanders fans there. Oh, all Bernie Sanders people. Uh, yeah, so... Violent Bernie um, Sanders supporters. So over there, and I was like, wow. Now, here's the thing is, and that's, that was kind of one of the topics I wanted to talk about. You know, I believe 100% of the ability to, if you don't like somebody, go protest. Knock yourself out. Um, the question, though, is at what point does protesting somebody turn into stopping somebody's freedom of speech? And what I mean by that is, are we now becoming a society where we are now not going to listen to opposing views? We're just going to straight up shut it down. Because that's dangerous. And what I saw, and I listened to that, that didn't sound like democracy. That looked like fascism to me. It sounded like fascism. It sounded like we don't want your opinion to be said anymore. And that's very different than I disagree with your opinion. Absolutely. Yeah. You, no doubt about it, and I'll be the first one to say, you can, there's a lot of things to say bad about Donald Trump. Okay. There is, you can say a lot of things. I mean, anything you say about him, if you truly believe it, is a justified thing to say about him. But what I don't believe you have the right to do is to tell somebody else that they're not allowed to say their opinion. Sure. And that's what I saw a lot of when I was following that. Um, so the Bernie Sanders supporters were there protesting uh, peacefully, I assume. There was no violence. <laughs> no, there was a lot of violence. There was, was there? Fights. They okay. Guy, the video, you can go watch it, jumping on top of a police car, breaking okay. windows, car windows, everything. And this was perpetrated by Bernie Sanders supporters? No, I'm not, you know, not going to throw a blanket statement out there. But that's what the news was saying. They, there was a lot of, they were saying, like, they, I was hearing Bernie Sanders supporters, but I saw a lot of people that were just, to be honest, they might have just been anti-Trump people. Sure. So I'm not going to cover with a blank statement. I just want to know what the news reported versus what you heard on John and Ken. I heard both. Oh, okay. Like, well, first of all, when I heard on John and Ken, they didn't say, oh, they didn't say who's supporters at all. Oh, okay. They didn't say. Now, they did have yeah. things out and there. And who's like, breaking car windows that's going to stop yeah. and say, so, uh, <laughs> I'm So they weren't saying that. They, they said Code Pink was out there. They said there was one organized or, um, organization, Code Pink, which is a far, far left uh, female um, feminist group. Okay. They were out there. I don't know who, if they're pro-Bernie or not. I just know they're anti-Trump. A lot of F Trumps out there, signs F Trump, you know what I'm saying, like that. A lot of Mexican flags, the whole thing. But it turned violent. Yeah. It turned violent. And whether we we like it or not, and I know a lot of people out there are big Bernie Sanders fine, and that's fine to be a Bernie Sanders supporter. 
but you're not seeing these people going and starting fights at Bernie Sanders rallies. You're not seeing these people starting fights at Hillary Clinton rallies. Now, I get not starting fights at Hillary Clinton rallies because it's so boring <laughs> that nobody's going to start anything, so I get that. Just trying to stay awake. But at what point does protesting cross the line into full-blown fascism? And I'm starting to see you're, it. You're saying when they shut down the protesters, that's the fascist part, right? Not the protesting itself. No, protesting is tough. It's not. Protesting itself is actually American. Right, that's the free speech that's, that you're talking about. That's free speech. About. When you're not allowing other people to have their free speech. I'm still confused. So, so the people that were protesting, the, they were protesting at the they're Trump blocking, rally. They're trying not to allow people to get in. They're trying to get into those places to shut down the rallies. Gotcha. That's fascism. Gotcha. That is not democracy. That's so, not protesting. So if, if, as far as I know, the law states you're allowed to protest on, you're allowed to peaceably assemble, yeah. right? So once physical force or violence is entered into it, it's no longer protesting, it is assault, Yeah. right? So I think the line is pretty obvious. As long as you're just using your voice and using your expression, that's allowed. And anybody stopping that is the problem. Well, I mean, but if yeah. you're using violence, then that's not protesting. In a law sense, yes. But in the real world, we're, I mean, even within our, the way we communicate with each other, we're getting really into the fascist field. Um, you know, in today's world, just cursing people out for having different opinions and everything like that, that is a form of fascism. Define fascism for audience. Fascism, well, fascism, it basically is authoritarianism that doesn't allow dissenting views. Okay. Now, you can technically have right-wing fascism, you can have left-wing fascism. Okay, so you've had right-wing authoritarianism, but then you also have dictatorships that are left-wing communists and stuff like that. Okay. okay. Our country was founded on the concept of free speech. Okay? If you do not allow somebody their freedom of speech, then you are acting in a fascist manner. Sure. Okay? And we are, and I'm not saying it's one-sided either, but as I'm saying in, in when I saw this today, this, this media, I'm saying one side, the anti-Trump people, and I understand you're passionate against him, but you're physically trying to stop him from allowing to spread what you consider his hate speech. Right. I'm sorry to tell you, hate speech is allowed by the Constitution. That hmm. sucks, right? Even though you might define it hate speech, that sucks, but it is con constitutionally protected. Okay. You might say, and, and I get it, that's, that's, an, that's a very emotional statement right there. Okay. But hate speech is still free speech. Okay. Now, I'm not saying what Donald Trump is saying is hate speech. I'm saying the way the people are perceiving him to say, they're, they're calling it hate speech. Sure. And they're feeling like it's justifying them to shut him down, shut down his rallies, stop people from getting inside. You know what I'm saying? But is it is the question. Is it justified? Got to ask the people at home. I say no. Because, and I'll tell you why. I don't believe anybody, no matter how offensive it is, I don't believe anything should be, anybody's free speech should be sent down. Now you have, now here's the thing is, you have the ramification of your actions. That doesn't mean, that doesn't mean that you're free from consequences mm -hmm. from saying stuff. No, you still have to real, like, you still have to deal with real world um, consequences. If I go up to you and say, hey, I'm going to kick your butt, and you punch me, that's a consequence of my actions. Okay, that's not, that's not freedom of speech, okay? What I'm saying is in the political realm, right. when it comes to politics and mm -hmm. ideology, 
that has to be protected speech. Whether it's con- whether we consider it hate, whether we consider it offensive, it has to be protected. Well, you've got hate speech, and then you've got words or speeches that are inspiring people to commit violence. So the same philosophy or the same thought process that in the early 90s politicians were using to attack hip-hop music and attack rappers from saying things that they felt promoted violence, that's free speech. That should be allowed, right? It's artistic expression, whatever. So is that the same argument that the Trump supporters should be allowed to say their whatever they want, whether it's hateful or not, but what if it is inspiring actual violence? Is there any line that you would draw to say that, okay, that crossed the line? Well, I mean, oh my gosh, that would have to be, you know what, that'd have to be issue by issue. And to be yeah. honest, like, even though I'm not a Trump supporter, I'm not seeing that. Yeah. That's not what I'm seeing. See, now I'm, I'm not going to, and I'm not going to be, I don't want to be condescending here. But yes, most people, no, I do not. This is actually where I do not want to be condescending. I try not to be condescending. I like to be sarcastic That's true. That's and offensive, true. but I don't want to be condescending. A lot of people I've spoken to actually don't know what he's said. They're just regurgitating stuff that they hear in the media. Right. That's been twisted. Okay. So. Wait, wait, wait. You're saying they don't know what he said at this particular rally or they don't know? In general. They don't know what anything he's actually said. They just say he says hate speech, but they don't know actually what he's said. They're just told that he said hate speech. Most people don't actually know. Well, most people are uninformed generally. But I'm just saying. But we've all seen pieces of his speeches on social media. And so what, but what in specifically in his speeches, what would be considered hate speech? Um, I would say his blanket statement about keeping Muslims out of the country. Is that, is that hate speech? The actual, well, yes, yes, it it is hate speech. Um, yeah. So let me ask you a question. If I said this, terrorism is 99% coming out of these countries. Okay. And I said, we need to monitor and not allow people to come in from these four countries because 99% of our, um, because of 99% of our terrorist action is coming out of there. Yeah. Is that hate speech? The way that you said it, no. Okay. It's not so, hate speech. So it's not what he said. It's the way he said it. Because that's what he said. Now, he said it in a different way. And I agree with you. He right. said it in a very unpolitically correct way. Right. But what well, I not, just said, Not just politically well, correct. It was like... It but was what ignorant, I said, it was stupid, so and it, it was... So it's, so it's not so much what actually the truth was, it's how he said it. Because we said the same thing. Right. It's just mine sounded so much nicer, <laughs> right? Well, it sounded, it sounded reasonable and logical. Okay. It didn't sound passionate. It didn't sound like he was inspiring but, violence against a whole group of people. But when I said the exact same thing, it's not hate speech anymore, even though we're saying the exact same thing. Well, no... We're not saying the exact same thing. Me and him just said this. I just said the exact same thing. I just said it in a really politically correct way. I don't know. I don't. I don't because here's the thing: is you there. okay. So those four, these four countries, where 99% of our stuff coming in, they're all almost all Muslim. Yeah. So by me just saying blanket statements of countries and not allowing people to come in here for the fear of terrorist action, because percentage-wise, these people are coming out of this area, I said the same thing. Right. I said the exact same thing. Well, I, think, the same I think we can all agree that technology is such that we can target individuals and we don't have to make blanket statements about countries or nationalities or religious 
affiliations. That's we're beyond that. Okay, we don't need what, to do that. Let's say let's analyze the statement I just made. Was anything mm -hmm. in that statement offensive? To me personally, no. But somebody could still find it offensive. Absolutely. Even though statistically wise, it makes perfect sense. So, and I, and I mean, this is, and this doesn't offend you. That's why I'm perfectly fine right. saying this. So we're at that point, it's more important to not offend people than actually pay, play real statistics and real well, safety measures. Real safety measures. I don't know. They're, I'm more worried about homegrown terrorism. Okay, I'm more worried about and people that's, here. And that's, than and that's another legit thing. And that's a, that's a legit statement. Yeah. That's a legit statement. You can have that. I'm just saying, if, if 10 out of 10 actions came from a certain area. Sure. And I said, we need to monitor heavily this area. Which them, they already are. Okay. So nothing new is happening that's there. That's not offensive. It's fact. What you're saying is fact. Yeah. But still, are some people going to find that offensive? Yes. People are still going to find that offensive yeah, because I mean, it does that's, boil down talking to the way about, that's talking about their area. Yeah, it does boil down to the way he yeah. says it. So, I mean, it's, so, so it's, it all, it's all interpretation. It's all interpretation. And this is me not defending him. I'm sure. It's not me defending. No, you're just making just a point. Like this. It just says like this. And then he, the, the, um, um, you know, he, a lot of Mexicans don't, Hispanics don't like him. Uh, oh, I wonder why. His border security policy. Yeah. Okay. Well. You know where most of our drugs are coming from? Mexico. Okay. Okay. So it's, he's not wrong. It's the way he's saying it. Sure. Say, see, so we have a, so, <laughs> so we're having a really big issue here with not so much logic and everything like that as we do are having, we're having problems with emotion. Now can, um, and, and you know what, from a standpoint, could he more, be more diplomatic about this? Sure. But it wouldn't have gotten him the nomination. It's true. That's the reality. He could have been a lot more diplomatic about this, but the only reason he's on the platform he is now is because he wasn't afraid to say all this crazy stuff. That's, that's how you got Bernie Sanders and Donald Trump mm -hmm. because they said such crazy off the wall stuff that people got fired up about them. That's why these two people exist. Well, when you, when you say crazy, you make it sound like it's lunacy. When I would argue that the things that Bernie Sanders was saying <laughs> was I, unrealistic. I would call that lunacy. But, it's, it but it's, not, it's not crazy in the sense of mentally challenged no, or no, mentally no, that's insane. Not what I'm saying. That's not what I mean by insane. I, I don't think Donald Trump or Bernie Sanders are mentally insane crazy. I don't, oh, think, okay. I don't think either of them are. Oh, okay. I think, I think when I say lunacy, I mean his stuff is so unrealistic, but right. it's so wild and so out there. But it's it's... It's what I like to call us today's our, our, we live in the meme generation. Sure, sure. You know, we just want like sound bites. quick little sound bites. And Donald Trump is really good at hitting people knowing where people's emotions lie. It's hard to imagine him being good at anything. Look, I mean, here's the thing is you, you can make fun of him all this long. He's freaking brilliant at marketing, man. No. He is so good at it. Like he has, and, and every single one of you listening to right now, Every news cycle is dominated by Donald Trump. Oh, it's free. Oh, man, it's he, so easy. The only reason he is where he's at is because this news, every single news cycle is dominated by him. You're looking at the under the candidates and you're like, who's John Kasich? Who's Ted Cruz? You don't even know what they stand for because everything's dominated by Donald Trump to the point where free everybody content. in the Republican Party feels like their only choice is Donald Trump. That's the reality. And he knew that's what he had to do. 
All he had to do was dominate the freaking media cycle. He knows that. Did he... Somebody recently named a VP candidate, or has that not, has that not come yet? <laughs> okay, yeah. What am I so, thinking of? Uh, so Ted Cruz... That's right. Ted Cruz just uh, named Carly Fiorina as the... Uh, um, Oh my gosh, this is so good. He, he just named her as his VP, even though there's no way he can win the presidency. What he's trying to do is he's actually trying to take a, a play out of freaking Trump's uh, playbook here. Yeah. He's trying to create a media cycle. Too he's little, too late. Too yeah. little, too late, man. <laughs> you, were la- you, you, you made fun of Trump this entire time, and then at the very end, you try to take his tactic. Yeah. It's not going to work now, man. So, um, and then it was, I don't know if you heard, but like freaking uh, Donald Trump just laid into him. Did like, he? Oh my gosh, just laid into him. No. Lion Ted is what he calls him. That's funny. Lion Ted. So they've branded him. That guy's done for. You're, you're, you're voting for Donald Trump or Hillary Clinton. That's who you're voting for. That's, oh, that's so sad. That is so sad. <sighs> But I feel like every every four years we come to this conclusion and say, "Oh, it's so sad and what a disgrace." Well, and I'm gonna say this: I'm gonna be I'm gonna, I'm gonna be very condescending for a second. I'm gonna tell you I'm gonna be condescending to you, Democratic voters out there. This is exactly what you guys wanted, and they're gonna no, I wanted Bernie Sanders. No, 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 no. You guys voted for the party that thinks big government is better than what you what, than what you. That, you're be- that the government knows better than you, so they have a super delegate system that says the politicians know better than you. Hillary Clinton won because of that super delegate system. Ouch. The super delegate system is this. We know better than you do, so we're going to take 30% of the electorate and give it to whoever we want and think can do a better job because you guys are too dumb to do it yourself. That's condescending right there. That but that's what you guys get because you guys voted for that party. But, did, not- they, but did they vote for that system? Of oh. super delegates. But you guys rooted for a system. You guys have supported a system. And I'm, I'm going to lay into them for a second. You guys supported a system based on the government is better than you than doing what you can do. That's not, a, that's not a support for the Republican system. But you guys voted for that system. Don't want that system anymore? Then you need to tell the government and you need to tell the Democratic Party that they don't know what's better for you. I don't think anybody would vote for a system that takes away their own voice. I think they voted for a lesser of two evils. Well, that's what the that's that's what the superdelegate system is. Superdelegate system is a system that says the politicians know better than the American the American people. My point is the the voting electorate did not vote for that to take away their own voice. Yeah, but that's that's that didn't happen overnight. That happened in the establishment of the party that they've supported this concept. Yeah, you guys have supported a concept of bigger government. That bigger government, these people know better than you guys. The government's better at doing this stuff better than you are. Yeah. That's the system you guys have voted for. It's a very simplistic way to look at it, but yeah. <laughs> I, see, I see what you mean. I see what you mean. Doug doesn't like that very much. <laughs> well, I mean, telling people what they think is not never going to go over well. I agree 100%. Yeah. Crazy. So, so, anyway. so, I mean, now that's not saying you need to hop on a different party. That's needs says you guys need to tell your party that you guys need to restructure how this is done. Right. Because if it wasn't for that super delegate concept, you guys would probably have Bernie Sanders right now. Right. But because she extended such a 500 delegate lead so fast, mm-hmm. he never had a chance. It you, existed because you, you guys said, have that system. You just said that he fired his staff? He just laid off like 75% of his staff. He put all of his staff into California. Yeah. Uh, he's making a last... There's... So last ditch effort, or is it a waving the white flag? It's it's you know what I really think all it is is he's just hoping that he can move 
the party towards a platform that's better for what he considers to be better. I see. And he, I'm going to give him some credit. He's had some influence. Sure. He's definitely had some influence. Um, but no, he's not getting the nomination. Not getting the nomination. Um, I, I never say never, but um, because you never know what can happen. I mean, she could be indicted. You don't freaking have a clue. But I mean, I've looked at all the numbers statistically wise. I've looked at the percentages going to California. Like, first of all, it's not winner take all, so it's proportional. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't even matter if he wins California. Mm-hmm. But he's down by like thirty points in California. So um, that doesn't make any sense. If he's down by that much and he can't win, why would he put any effort into it? Well, he's 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 just trying to. I think he's trying to get as mo- much momentum as he can sure. going into the convention, sure. so that he can make some changes within the party. Sure, sure. Which is not a bad idea. It's not a waste of time. It's not a waste of time if he can move. If he can somehow, maybe he's trying to get rid of the super delegate system. Yeah. In which case, I say, dude, knock yourself out. Yeah, that would be a victory. So, but I mean, to be honest, that's probably not going to happen because he was an independent before. So mm-hmm. his his voice has no clout in the Democratic Party because mm-hmm. he's not a he's not one of them. He's not a blue blood through and through. He's not. He, he's been running as an independent his whole life. Yeah. So he doesn't have any clout with them. He has no connections to the Democratic Party. They're not one of his. So, I mean, sorry. Sorry, Bernie voters. What, what do you think is going to be the first big change after the um, – what was that? What was that noise? They're coming after us. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> uh, after the new, new president is inaugurated, what do you think is going to be the first – Order of business. He's gonna make. He's gonna make uh, Mexico build the wall. Did you hear him? No, of course. What was that? Thank you. <laughs> um, well, here's the thing: is first of all, who's gonna be the president? I don't know. Okay, and this is fascinating. They both have such high negative ratings. Mm-hmm. So high negative ratings. You know what? And you know what? This is the interesting part: is the only thing consistent in this whole thing is that their negatives are so high. Yeah. Okay, but the thing is, who has the excitement? Trump's people have the excitement. Mm-hmm. Nobody's really excited about Hillary. All the excitement was for Bernie. Sure. So, well, first of all, if Bernie runs as a third-party candidate, Trump wins. That's number one. Math doesn't lie. Yeah, it doesn't. Look, sorry. He's, Trump's, Bernie's not going to win. He's not going to win. He's going to split the vote, and he's going to give the election to Trump. But if another way Trump wins is if... Bernie Sanders are fans, supporters are just so disfranchised mm-hmm. that they just don't show up to vote. Sure. Um, that's possible. You know, there's the Never Trump movement within the, the conservative Republican Party. Okay. I don't believe them. I think they have so much disdain for um, Hillary yeah. that they're willing to show up and vote for Trump. Spite I really vote. do. I really do. Yeah. Um, from what I've seen. So... If I I don't think Trump can win if Hillary figures out a way to court Sanders voters. If Bernie comes out and endorses her and says vote for her, I don't. That would think. be pretty disingenuous at this point, though. When he's writing his his platform is basically basically integrity. But I mean, you're right, and here and there's a couple things to look at. Like, uh, first of all, if he was 20 years younger. I bet he would do it in a heartbeat because he'd have 20 years to make 20, like make more um, changes. Sure. So he'd want those connections to be able to do that. He'd play the long game. He's too old. Yeah. I don't think he gives a crap anymore. He's just like, this is my last ditch. I'm going to freaking 
go in, mess stuff up, and mm-hmm. make my mark, die happy. Yeah, he's old, so I don't know. Um, they might make him a deal, a backroom deal, that if he comes out and publicly endorses Hillary, then they'll get, he'll get the delegates next year. No, next no, time. he's not running again. He's too old. Yeah. But well, sweetheart, do you like like a place in the cabinet, something like something that. like that? Yeah. Maybe something of some serious influence of something he wants. Right. Um, I can't imagine him doing that. Well, I can. I, they're politicians. Yeah. Come on, man. Like, like he. It hurts my heart to think that he would. But and here's the thing: is I'm not even saying it in a bad way. But like, here's the thing: is if is is his like. Let's say, for an example, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give him the benefit of the doubt for a second. Mm-hmm. Let's say he truly thinks this superdelegate system is the most undemocratic thing there is. And he has to put his personal, rela- his personal integrity aside and his personal like, reputation aside to make that happen. Mm-hmm. Is that so bad? If he says, I'm going to have to sell out here to get this position to be able to make that change. Do you think that's more of an issue than the, is it the Citizens United that is the campaign financing issue? Well, um, Citizens United campaign, that's... Um, that's what allows the super PACs and the anonymous well, here's donations, the, right? Like, here's the thing is they're, they're not like, people think they're undemocratic. They're not undemocratic. Do you know what a super PAC is? A super Stephen PAC is... Stephen Colbert a, taught us all. <laughs> they're, they're nothing. They're just an unaffiliated group that endorses a candidate. Right. That you dump money, you can't tell people not to form organizations to support people. Mm-hmm. So, oh, super PAC, super PACs are undemocratic. Are you telling me, uh, me and my fifty Bernie Sanders supporters can't get together, raise money, and support for Bernie Sanders alone? Why? That's freedom of that's freedom of speech. That's a super PAC. But you're you're not for politics being bought and sold, right? But you're not here's for the thing that. Is, yeah, but here. That's a really generic statement because what you do with your money is a form of freedom. Okay. If I want to take my money and give it to a candidate because I believe in him, that's a form of freedom. Even, even at the expense of our political integrity? Like if our system is based on may the best man win, right? That's how any well, competition you, is based on. You're telling on. me this, you're, but you're, you're asking me this. Should I allow the government to take away your right with your earned money to be able to give to candidates that you want to support for your political ideology. Well, at its at its core, we want democracy to be one voice There's equals no one such thing, vote. Dude. There's no such as thing. As what? There's no, no such thing what? as pure democracy. That's oh, it's, it's I don't I don't disagree with you. Not corrupted. I don't disagree with you, but I mean the point. If you're you're putting these, you said earlier, you're for some regulations. You know, with respect to are we talking about pills pres- or prescriptions? You know what I'm saying. <laughs> I'm pills? just saying, like, you don't you don't go as far as a blanket statement of zero regulations no. ever, right? Yeah. You, you're you have some common sense with that. Yeah. So to say that the money going into politics, there's never a case for it to be regulated. That doesn't make sense either. No, I don't say. I say if it's going like, to facilitate. I don't have a problem with super PACs. Is what I'm saying. Okay. okay. Don't have a problem with super PACs. I think there there's nothing out there that while you might think they are unethical or something like that, it is completely democratic in my opinion to be able to form because first of all, a super PAC is not allowed to talk to the candidate. Okay. They're completely separate. Okay. They're not allowed to communicate at all. <laughs> so they don't. They don't. They're not allowed to. <laughs> Does it happen? Sure, of it course. happens because politicians are corrupt. Right. Of course. But on paper, a super PAC, you're breaking the law if you actually talk to them. So, like, they'll say, I didn't create that ad bashing somebody. My super PAC did. That's technically true. 
They'll, they'll say that it's like a slam out against somebody. Right. Makes the c- candidate look bad. I didn't have anything to do with that. It was my super PAC. It's true, technically, because who says that I shouldn't be able to do advertisement for a candidate I believe in? That's freedom of speech in my well, you're, opinion. Well, you're a marketing guy, so you're always going to side with no, unlimited I, marketing I think budgets. that's a freedom issue. I think that's a freedom of speech issue. I think allowing super PACs is actually freedom of speech. Yeah. And I believe what you allow, because I believe money is truly a tool of freedom. It is. Then it's also a tool of oppression. Of greed. But like if the government taxes me 90% of my money, mm-hmm. my freedom is very limited what I can do because I don't have the money to do things. Money is a tool of freedom. I sure. can't travel. I can't do fun stuff. It limits If they my tax freedom. 90% of your income. I'm giving you an exaggeration. Sure, sure, sure. I'm giving an exaggeration. But, it, but it's, all, it's all relative. You know, if you've got trillions of dollars and they tax 90% of your income, you still have more freedom than pretty much virtually everyone on the planet. So your freedom, your not, access... Not me personally, though. I'm just saying. <laughs> I'm just saying. Your, your freedom in the form of access... If you tax me 90%, I can get a burrito. <laughs> I'm, I'm, in the, I'm in the same boat as you. But I think it was... I was listening to Adam Carolla recently, and he, he made some comment that the, the economy... The, the whoever's in office, politics don't really affect my life. You know what I mean? Like my success is based on my motivation and what I'm doing on a day-to-day basis. It's not based on somebody on Capitol Hill making a law that affects, you know, five percentage points of my income tax up or down. Mm-hmm. Would you agree that that doesn't make a huge impact on your everyday? Well, to, a, to an extent. So, I mean, just so you know, his... No, 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 not, not to an extent. If you, got, if you got to keep 5% more percent of your income or if you lost 5% of your income because they changed the income tax brackets or whatever. Me personally? Yes, or you personally. People? You personally. 5%? Would I notice it? Is that what you're saying? Would Not it make... would you notice it. Would affect your freedom. You're, t- you're talking about money as a tool of freedom. 5% no. Okay. 5% no. So what... Let's take Bernie Sanders and then let's take the most... What was the uh, George Bush did the stimulus package, mm-hmm. right? And so he gave everybody basically an extra refund that year. So everybody paid, whether it was a fraction or a big percentage, less income tax that year. Was anybody's freedom negatively or positively affected in a meaningful way? Um, no, I wouldn't say that. Right. I wouldn't say. So, so let's say Bernie Sanders comes in and does the opposite, just purely for sake of argument. And now everyone gets a couple hundred dollars less take home are your financial freedoms affected in See, any but way? here's the thing is that's that's not just a couple dollars now we're talking about a change of philosophy okay so i believe i believe will the first round hurt probably not but the goal is not the first round the goal of a socialistic like government is to have like a 50% tax rate on your average person. Okay. And that, yes, that will matter. So will the first round of it? No, but his idea is to make a change every year. I see. So it's not, it's, it's not just 5% here and there. It's a whole philosophy difference. And it's his philosophy I don't agree with. Mm. So you're right. If you just start talking in like small percentages is it gonna make a big difference no but when you're talking about full governmental differences and philosophy change then yes it's gonna have a massive difference Hmm. 
So I don't believe, I just, I mean, I don't, I don't believe what anything he stands for. Yeah. Um, I think, uh, oh, I'm going to say something I really want to offend people with right now. The term democratic socialism is total BS. What should it be? What's that? What should it be? No, the word democratic socialism, he was, that was the word he was using a lot. Mm -hmm. It doesn't make any sense. It's a word that literally has no meaning. So you're saying it was made up to soften it's what socialism is? It's a made-up word. It doesn't mean anything. I've asked a million people what democratic socialism means. Mm-hmm. Nobody has an answer because nobody knows what it is. It's just a really cute word that, they, that he liked to use that people that didn't know how systems worked reacted to it. Sounds like marketing genius to me. It is. I'm not saying he's not a marketing genius. He's taking a playbook right out of Donald Trump. Yeah. But it literally means nothing. Democratic socialism means nothing. It's just a word that people started throwing around. Because well, how about how about conservative fascism? I just made up a new one. Conservative fascism? Yeah, how about that? Could you could there be something as conservative fascism? I don't um, know. I just made it up. Well, yeah, because I guess you, well, because you can have right wing fascism, and conservative is often affiliated with cons- right wing is often con- affiliated with conservative fascism. Conservatism. Well, well, there you go. That should be Trump's new platform. <laughs> but that would actually make sense. Democratic socialism. I see what you're saying, though. But, like, uh, do, do you know what democratic socialism means? Uh, I think it's redistributing wealth. That's, That's socialism. Okay. So, so what is democratic socialism? Meaning that the people have a voice in the manner in which that wealth is redistributed. So basically, so it's, it's basically... I'm not, I'm not saying no, no, that that's what I'm for. No, I'm trying to define it in a way defi- that helps yeah, people I understand I, it. I don't know if that's what it means either. Is okay. that what it means? I don't sure. know. Yeah. So I've asked a bunch of people and nobody has a clue what it means. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty confident in my yeah, definition. Yeah, that sounds good. So uh, the government will take everything and then they will so ask So 50% you, is everything? Most people get what? 30%? That's the average? Tax rate? Yeah, about 30%. Well, the top 50% don't, the bottom 50% don't pay anything in taxes. The bottom 50%? Don't pay anything in taxes. You're saying income taxes? Yeah, ta- income taxes. They are oh. still paying into? Sales tax. Social security. Um, what's the other one? Medicare? Yeah. And you're, what, what are the ones that you can't get out of? Uh, you no can't matter get, how you broke can't, you, you are. can't get a social security. You can't get America. You can't get out of your state taxes. Um, right. Uh, you can't get out of your sales tax. Um, I think those are the big ones. So you're, you're just talking about the income tax yeah. at the bottom 50%. Don't they don't pay. pay any income tax. The bottom 50% don't pay any income tax. Interesting. But income tax is a big, is a big chunk of your money, man. Mm-hmm. It's like when you go and you get that, pay, re, that refund and you get so excited because you feel like it's free money. No, that's just your money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's just your money that they, they took too much and they're giving you some back. Yeah, you gave them an interest-free loan for all that's year. That's all they did. No, because I, I remember hearing, you know, it's, it's a ge- uh, generalization, but basically you work from January to March for the government. So, so tw- 25% yeah. is kind of what people assume that most people get taken out of their check. Yeah, and I'm not, uh, and I'm not uh, opposed to paying taxes. I'm, imp- I'm opposed to a philosophy based on the concept of um, socialism. And I do not believe in redistribution of wealth. Mm-hmm. And I don't believe in anything that a lot of these people well, are spewing these days. I think the, the term that I, that I was trying to think of the most concise way to get the philosophy across. But I don't think that anybody believes in redistribution of wealth. Uh, well, socialists do. Well, I mean, what I mean to say is you don't, people don't think that if you earn money, someone else deserves it. Right? Socialists do. <laughs> but but the, the philosophy of it is that everyone deserves 
access to basic human rights and so services. That's not a socialist. That's okay. not a socialist. Okay. Okay. Socialist is state owned, like state owned, and redistribution of all wealth. But isn't that the point of it? What's that? Isn't that the point of it? No, because socialism also at the core is that people that people are equal in all facets, not just having access to certain things. Yeah. That's different. Yeah. Maybe that's what democratic socialism is. There you go. Maybe. We came know. to a higher understanding know. just right now. But no, socialism is not that. Socialism is where you don't believe, they don't believe in free market property rights. They don't yeah. believe in, they believe in the redistribution of all wealth. They believe in, they believe in government forced equality. I don't see how anybody could win on that platform. Well, they haven't in this country because right. we've been a capitalist country. Right. But we're starting to move away from our founding principles. So you're getting people now, like funny thing is like. Our founding principles. Well, here's the thing is, uh, the last time we've seen anybody as gnarly as Bernie Sanders run, and mm -hmm. he didn't win because he's too far off, mm -hmm. was George McGovern okay. against uh, Ronald Reagan. Well, that's a terrible name, first of all. Yeah, Who's going to vote for that? You know, well, we know how that ended. Do you know how that ended? Remind me. Uh, it was a bloodbath. Yeah. Okay. So we haven't seen anybody that's left wing since that long. Um, and... Uh, well, we're, we're, I mean, we're not going to... Well, I, I want to get back to what you just said about we're moving away from the founding principles. Now, these were the, the guiding documents and the guiding philosophies from the founding fathers of this country, which I don't understand why they get so much credit based on all the atrocities that they committed. And you know, specifically, I'm talking so, about this, uh, the Harriet Tubman on the $20 bill discussion, which snowballed into something else that we talked about on Facebook uh, recently. Replacing Andrew Jackson. Correct. Yeah. So a lot of people are saying, well, I think that the whole debate stirred up people's emotions and new or renewed understandings of what that man did and what he stood for, right? Yeah, I mean, Andrew Jackson, you know, I did research on a... I'm sure you did. That's I did why I brought research. it up. I did research because I was actually interested on it because, uh, first of all, I don't have a problem with Harriet Tubman being on anything. She was a huge, she was amazing American. She did amazing things. I actually looked in, I was like, because um, I, I had, uh, um, I got into a debate with somebody. I said, um, I don't have a problem with replacing um, people as long as we're not doing it for political correctness. Mm -hmm. And And then it came down to, and then they're like, oh, well, this person deserves more. And I was like, well, what was the reason Andrew Jackson was put on the $20 bill in the first place? And he's like, I have no idea. And I was like, neither do I. I don't have any idea either. So I went and researched, and it's actually not known. Really? Nobody knows. Like, there's myths about it, but nobody knows how Andrew Jackson originally ended up on the $20 bill. Because he had the prettiest portrait at the time. So for that reason alone, I don't have a problem really. Free, like relieving him of his uh, because there's position. nothing I if if he did like let's say like if he was like as uh, I I would have a problem if you said let's take George um, um, George Bo uh, George Bush George Washington <laughs> George Washington yeah let's not have George Bush or Abraham Lincoln something like that if you if you start talking about that then I have a problem because I do believe they did great things did they have their errors sure but they actually did things of what I would consider greatness. Andrew Jackson, though, I can't find much. Yeah. So I just said, I don't really care about taking him off. Um, some people are just like, oh, we shouldn't just change history. And I was like, well, the problem is we don't even know what the history is for him. The fact that nothing's on there makes me think that he did some horrible things. Maybe. I don't know. So that's why I don't really care. 
So I was like, I was like, people don't erase wonderful things from history. Literally, go when you get a chance, Google why was Andrew Jackson put on the twenty dollar bill, and it yeah. just says it's relatively unknown. That's the answer. All the historians don't know, or they can't find out, or they don't want to say. Maybe we don't know, but anyways. So because of that, I don't care. What were we talking about originally, though? Uh, the fact that there's slave owners on the money. Okay, so here's so here's the thing. Um, did they do some bad things? Yeah, we had this. Oh, you, we had this. Oh, I remember now where now this conversation remember. is coming from. Okay, now the question was ultimately this: Does specifically slavery cancel out the good things that they did enough to the point where it makes them now no longer? Heroes of the country was basically the big question. Is is that basically what we're talking about right now? Pretty much. So, and and just the the blanket respect that the founding fathers get, and people don't really acknowledge the atrocities well, that they. Okay, committed. so I would say look, at, you got to look at it two different ways. First okay. of all, there are things, there are amazing things that the founding fathers did for this country. There are some amazing things at the expense of. Yeah, okay, I'm not negating bad parts. Okay. What I'm saying is they give us the first true free government in all of history. This is the first true, this is as true democratic of a society that's ever existed, okay? I consider that a great thing. Okay. Okay, I consider that a great thing. The governmental structure of this is far superior than anything that's ever been constructed in all of history. The only time we had anywhere near close to a republic system like this was actually the original people in Greece where the term republic and everything was founded. But beyond that... Thank you, Plato. Shout out to Plato. Yeah, too bad. My homie's dead. So, but beyond that, we've never seen anything like that. It was, it was this form of government that allowed the United States to get to the superpower it was, that it is. Okay, it was only the it was only the government structure and the allowing of freedom that allowed us to grow to that level. Now, from in there, did they do bad things? Sure. So, my reverence, because I'm not going to condone slavery. My reverence to them is in regards to how the uh, um, the great government structure that they gave. Okay, that's what it's in regards to. So you're saying one doesn't negate the other. The, the sins of our forefathers doesn't negate the accomplishments with respect to the structure of well, the political system I mean, that we does have. That, well, that's, what you're, that's your stance. I'm, I, I'm, saying that, I'm saying that even though they did these bad things, they still did some good stuff. Right. Now, and I'm not saying that counteracts the bad stuff, but I'm saying they, I, I think the same, I'm seeing a lot of the argument, the people that are, um, that are saying they, they don't deserve to be on here because of this, are also not taking into account the great stuff that they actually did. Now, in the defense of those people again, I also can't relate. So I'm sorry, but I can't relate. A lot of people say that they can't relate. But you, but you can look at a situation and you can understand. You can logically break down what's happening and you can appreciate what's happening. It doesn't mean that you have to have 100% empathy and understanding of being in their shoes but you can look at a situation and see if it's right or wrong and see if it's deserving of praise or if it's deserving of somebody losing their stature over. To be honest, to be honest on that one, I don't know. So I, I often like to use the metaphor of a corporation. I know you don't like that. Your dad doesn't like that because corporations are actually efficient and the government's not. Hell yeah. But 
just in the sense of it's a group of people that came together to accomplish something. Okay. Let's just use that part. So the, the banking systems, the insurance companies that propped up the economy for so long in the early 2000s and gave us this um, flourishing uh, stock market, okay? People benefited from that. People gained wealth. People were able to retire off of decisions that were made during that time period, okay? Now we look back on it and we see that, well, it was a huge money grab. They basically robbed the American people. They basically got a bailout and nothing that they did was really great. It was all a scam. And I'm not using that word loosely. It was literally a scam. So in the context of reality, of what actually happened, we take away their accomplishments. They shouldn't have gotten those bonuses. They were not great businessmen. They were not intelligent economic forces in America. They were crooks. So why don't we look at the founding fathers the same way? Does that make sense? Do you get where uh, I'm coming from? I get where you're coming from, but I don't agree with the analogy. Okay. I don't agree with comparison. Because, okay. um, because I don't know, to compare like the propping up of the banking system and the markets and stuff like that. It's, to, a, it's a metaphor. It's not a comparison. To, but the, that's, why, that's why I'm having a hard time drawing a comparison because comparing those two things with like the founding of a free government is a big stretch to me. But so all, I, I, would all say, I meant was is that they did something that in the moment appeared to be a huge accomplishment when in fact it wasn't anything to be proud of. But, now, you're, what you're saying is because the, the America is, what, over 200 years old, that's still a very small amount of time. So whether or not it is a success, at this point it's still an experiment. And s- some people, depending on what side of history you're on, would say it's a failure. Well, and I'll, and I'll tell you this, because um, I'm in the camp that there's no such thing as a success. I'm in that camp. I don't believe there's any government that can last. I only believe it's how long can it possibly last. That's, I'm in that camp. Okay. So I think of it as a success because of how long it has lasted. Okay? Which still isn't very long. But it's the longest, it's the longest standing government we've ever had. But if it's based... If it's based on atrocities, if it's based on the extermination of well, a people, see, but I'm just saying, just go, with, the, go the, with me, go with me for this. Okay, go. If, if that's what it's based on and that's what it took for it to be this great, in air quotes, then is it great? See, because I don't think those, here's the thing, because could have the United States have flourished without the atrocities? I think it could have. So I don't think those two but things- But it didn't, we don't have that. But, but I'm saying is just because of the governmental structure do the, are the atrocities specifically tied to that structure? Or is it just those are flaws that bad people did with their history because bad people do bad things? So, like, so we have this thing, this freedom concept, and then there's slavery within there. Are those two things completely relevant? Are those two related to each other? I don't think so. I believe you can have freedom without slavery. But we, okay, but we have, we have no example where that is true. Yeah, but I can so, see. So the way that our country developed, we wouldn't have had the economic opportunities without the implementation of slavery. We wouldn't have had the quick progression of development and expansion without that free labor, okay? We wouldn't have had it. It might, it might have taken longer. 
who knows where we would be without it. My point is, there is no example of this type of government flourishing so quickly without well, robbing a people of their land and without robbing a people of their dignity, humanity, and their home. Yeah, but you can go through every, every society and every government in all of history and you're going to find these atrocities. Doesn't matter which one. But it is. these are our atrocities. I know, but but what you're, I'm saying is, okay, so this government, so, and I'll tell you this, I believe it still would have happened without these atrocities, okay. because at the heart of it, what progressed us so fast, we used the cheap labor, okay, we did use that, and we took advantage of that. Okay. There's no doubt about that, but at the heart of it, what made us grow, was the system based on incentive. That's what made it grow. Okay. It was capitalism. It was the concept of. The, you had these. Do you, have you ever seen the Have you ever seen the documentary uh, Titans of uh, Industry? Mm, no, it sounds familiar G- though. Amazing. You should watch it. Uh, J D Rockefeller, um, Andrew Carnegie, all great men, I'm sure. And uh, um, J P Morgan. Yeah. Okay. These three men at one time in history. Yeah. Controlled forty percent of the United States money. Yeah. Three men controlled forty percent of the money. Because what happened is. There was a system, and, and then FDR came in and said, no more monopolies, because I actually don't agree with the monopoly concepts. I don't, because that's not fair to everybody, because I do believe capitalism needs, everybody's got to have a shot at capitalism. Okay. So we broke up those, those monopoly concepts. Okay. But the reason we expanded, we really went from like, we, within the period of those three men, we jumped forward like 200 years of progression because they were pushing so hard to be on top through capitalism. Now, a lot of them will say, a lot of people will say they were just greedy, money-hungry mongers who took advantage of people. They also pushed our country forward hundreds of years in a period of like 50 years. So you're saying it's worth it? Sure. If we sit here and we enjoy these luxuries here today, mm-hmm. and it's based on those things, we're being hypocritical saying it's not worth it. If we're saying, if the technology is there because of them... It's hypocrisy for me to say. But I would say most people don't know. They don't grasp. They don't, they don't know the price of the things that they're enjoying today. 100% most agree. Most people don't know. So as soon as you know, then you're responsible for that information. We can agree on that. So once you know what Carnegie, what J.P. Morgan, what they did, then you have to, you have to take pause and say, well, it's not that great of an accomplishment because look at the downside. But then you can look at what's the good side because I would say, I would make this argument, and this is a stretch argument. I believe it was the technology advances through those three men that allowed us to win World War I and World War II because they pushed us so far in advance in technology and funding so fast and they were able to create that because of their time frame, because of the 18, mid-1800s to late 1800s to the 1920s. Because in the mid-1800s, early 1800s, we were a baby country trying to figure out what this whole concept of freedom was about, free markets and all this stuff. Nobody, there was no rules. There was no things like taking care of employees. There was no, it was the wild, wild west. So in the world standing at the time, in the mid-1800s, we were nobody. There's no way we would have been able to win wars against the world superpowers, Japan, you know, Germany at these times, if it wasn't for the progression, how these guys took us to the next level in technology. We sit here in a world of freedom, almost entire world freedom, possibly because of these three men. That's how I look at it. So is it worth it? Did some people get hurt along the way? 
Yes, but it also, they might have been personally responsible for stopping the spread of communism in the entire world. Hmm. And that's how I kind of personally look at it. Now, am I able to make that statement? No, but I can look at the history, and I know what these men did to the 1800s. They jump-started the technological revolution. They started the whole industry. They created the oil industry. They created the railroad industry, the steel industry. Everything that allowed us to win the wars was because of those guys there. So I say, yeah. Well, I mean, if, if you're going to look at all those advances, in air quotes, as progress, as positive progress, then I can understand where you're coming from. I think you can take any of these and spin it any way you want. Well, of course, that's true with anything. So, but you said, you said in the 1800s we were a baby country, still figuring it out. Yeah. Well, I would argue here in 2016, we're still a baby country. We're still figuring it out. We're still learning how to treat half of our citizens like humans. Well, here's the we're thing. We're still is, learning how to do that. But we're not going to learn. Here's the thing. Uh, I hate to be a pessimist, but we're never going to figure it out. Yeah. We're not going to figure it out because every single day everything's going to change. Like there's nothing, there's no end goal. It, there's no point of saying well, we're the, here. Well, the way, the way that the, it's set up and the way capitalism works, the end goal is unlimited growth. There, there is no, there's no finite goal. Well, but that's but not every quarter you need to grow. But that, there's, but that's not real. That's not how the world can possibly work either. But that's how it's set up. I know. That's why. But I'm uh, once again we go back to that thing that I'm in the camp that it can't. Nothing can last anyway. Yeah. I'm in that camp. So that's why I'm in such a camp that we need to restrict government so that we can at least the only thing that can be protected one day hopefully is freedom. That's yeah. it. You're not going to be able to protect this capitalist society. You're not going to be able to have 25% growth forever. You're not going to have any of that. But what I can do is I can stop one, hopefully one day, and not be like a slave to somebody. That's well, the only thing I can do. Well, the for. good thing, and we're going to end on this note right here, is How that every, go for? everybody can afford freedom. You know why? Why? Freedom costs a buck oh five. Good talking with you, buddy. Any, right. uh, any final uh, thoughts for the people before we head out? Um... Check me out on Twitter. Nathan Martell is stupid. Hashtag Nathan Martell is stupid. Hashtag Nathan Martell is stupid. We'll catch you next time. Freedom isn't free. No, there's a hefty fucking fee. And if you don't throw in your buck five, who will? Ooh, buck Freedom costs a buck Well, that's it. That's the show. Thank you once again for listening. I appreciate all the feedback, positive or negative, all the constructive criticism. Um, Appreciate you guys very, very much. Do not take your time for granted. So the time that you spent listening to me, you could have been doing any number of things. Hopefully I made your commute a little bit more interesting. Uh, Again, you can follow Nathan Martell on Twitter, uh, myself, at Morgan Freelance. Don't forget to use the hashtag Nathan Martell is stupid. He loves to get uh, your comments on there. Another special thanks, special shout out to our sponsors, Audiovisual Live, audiovisuallive.com for your live event production needs, specializing in high quality audio. And also the P Home, the positive home of musical entertainment, your local creative space for rent. Find them on Facebook, shoot them a message, tell them you're interested, 
and come through and, and check out some of the shows that he throws. He's a dope guy. Does photography as well. Shout out to Paul. All right. That's it. Thank you much. See you next week. Peace.